Hey everybody, welcome to the SmackDown 6 podcast. I'm your host, Matt Vaughn, and today I'm joined by just one of one of my favorite people. My guest co-host today is Daniel Pedapod. Daniel, how you doing, buddy? Very good. Thank you, Matt, for having me. This is exciting. It is Love exciting. You, man. Yes, we've talked about we we I mean we've talked about wrestling a lot. We talked about podcast, you know, doing a podcast together sometime. This is what this is what this is right now, which is great. I'm excited about that. Uh, we're longtime friends, right? I've known you for 15 years at this point. Yeah, I'd say that. Let's just say that. Yeah, let's just say that. That sounds about right. And so, okay, so you are you're probably one of my biggest wrestling fan friends, I would say for sure. Um, I've already had uh, Brian on the who's I would probably your only competition that way, and my brother, who's not my friend. No offense to Will. <laughs> Or Alex, if I get him on here sometime. <laughs> That's just how it goes. So, okay. How did you get into wrestling? Yeah, so wrestling for me was really easy. Um, when I was a kid, it was just uh, on one of the three channels that we got. Nice. And so uh, I got into it very naturally. My mom would be watching it in the afternoon or something, and then I would start to, you know, get into it. So, I mean, my first memories of wrestling are like, you know, some Battle Royal from like 92. Oh, nice. Time. But I didn't really get into it about 96, 97. Right. Uh, early 96. And so I was like eight or nine and loving Shawn Michaels. Yes, that uh, is that is when, very true. Then when DX started, uh, my little kid brain couldn't handle Shawn Michaels being kind of a dick. <laughs> so I stopped watching wrestling for a long time. And then in high school, a buddy of mine was into wrestling. And I thought Shawn Michaels was gone because I just heard through right. the grapevine that Shawn Michaels got injured and he wasn't wrestling yeah. anymore. So I had no interest because my guy yeah. was not there. And he said, oh, no, he's back. He's been back for a couple of years. I'm like, what? And so 2006, right after WrestleMania 22, I got back into it heavy. Uh, then that was a couple of years. Then I took another hiatus. And then probably, which, which is funny, <laughs> 2009, 2010, I got back into WWE faithfully which is the worst time to get back right to WWE, yeah it's, it's hard to, it's hard for me to figure out kind of like when post 2005 is like considered to be like the worst kind of time is that right 2009 2010 about right yeah that's it that, yeah. that that's as low as you can go that's so funny i love that um i love the see it's funny to me first off just because like you got back into wrestling after i had gotten into it and stopped watching again which is funny to me um and i love the idea like i feel like that's the thing with wrestling is that people like even if you don't really know wrestling that well, everybody kind of has vague ideas, understandings of things, right? Like, like Hulk Hogan. Okay, he was was he around when he was a kid? When I was a kid, I was like, yeah, no, but he came back. It's like okay, like, like and so you finding out the Shawn Michaels thing is like totally. I I love that is your way in. It's also it's also like it speaks to just how how wrestling can grab you and like how having people who you like really matters. Like that's one of the issues right now with a lot of wrestling where it's just like. Um, like main roster stuff for WWE in twenty twenty. I just don't. There's just a lot of people I just don't care about, right? Or even like. AEW, same thing where I'm just kind of like, I care about like maybe two of these people. And that's like a big challenge right now for me. Right. Yeah. 100%. I mean, after Shawn Michaels, um, Edge became my favorite. And I was right. able to follow him, uh, but only for a couple of years after Shawn Michaels retired. So <laughs> it, right. was, it wasn't still your lit. guy. I, but, I love uh, it. But Edge was my guy. And then after Edge, there was nobody who could replace. Like Edge made a decent replacement for Shawn Michaels after that. There was nobody else that grabbed my attention in the same way. Right. Um, you were going from Coke to Diet Coke to, like, brown water would have been your other option. Yeah, in terms of... yeah it's, it's brutal. It's brutal. Yeah. Well, well, we got some extra data to talk about, which is exciting. Uh, Very so, exciting. So I would also talk about, uh, you know, usually ask my guests kind of like, hey, were you watching that? So I would say 
August 2002, you were not watching. I was not watching. Okay. This is exciting. Okay. I'm excited about this. So we're going to get into it. I'm going to talk uh, just real quick. Last week's episode. Here's what happens in last week's episodes, folks. So if you don't remember, uh, Kurt Angle and John Cena had a match that was interrupted by four other guys, which led to a six-man tag match featuring five of the six of the SmackDown Six, which is very exciting. Uh, Reverend Devon lost again. Billy and Chuck won, and Brock Lesnar killed Hulkamania with a big bear hug, which is a very it was a very exciting episode of SmackDown. I I, I was glad I watched it. I was happy to get excited to watch it again this week. I feel like I'm going to just reiterate again the main concept of the show. The SmackDown Six idea is that during this time period they're recovering today, or you know today and for the next however many episodes. Um, there was essentially six guys who made SmackDown worth watching. And even at the time, they were called the SmackDown Six. And so this whole idea was that they would have great matches. And this is a time period where they're all there more or less. Um, spoiler alert, Edge gets injured halfway through the series of this, and it becomes essentially a SmackDown 5. But that is the whole concept of the show. So just a reminder to people, and so everybody knows. I remember actually, Daniel, you would, you would ask me, you're like, do people know this as a thing? Which I think is fair, because <laughs> you weren't watching then, and I'm just going to like say something. You're like, do people know this is... Right. Like, didn't, didn't make this up. This isn't like people will people will have an idea of this, which is good. So uh, okay, so first off, before we before we get into it, we're gonna go look at velocity. So this is called uh, the segment is called Meanwhile on Velocity. And so Velocity, for those who, who may not remember, Velocity is the show they taped before SmackDown that acted as kind of the the secondary B show for SmackDown. I read something recently that was like somebody said very emphatically online. They're like, oh yeah, it was supposed to be a cruiserweight show off kind of show. Which was funny to me because there's now that show exists now, 205 Live. It's actually a show that does that. But but yeah. Velocity, and, and I guess it makes sense if you want to like focus on speed, Velocity, cool name for a show. Um, I guess that makes sense. But no, there's not. It's not cruiserweights. So let me, Daniel, you tell me if you would watch this. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you the matches here. So you have Hardcore Holly defeats Rico with an Alabama Slam. <laughs> Sounds it's a good one to start. I did off. not I did not watch this. It, this it is, looked uh, no. it looked like just a bunch of filler crap to set up whatever we were supposed to get on SmackDown yeah. from the mid-card, you know? So Velocity had some gold, and I will admit, like, I spent a lot of sad Saturday nights watching this late at night. And, like, the matches were not terrible. So, um, second match was Bull Buchanan defeated Albert with a top rope leg drop. Bull Buchanan kind of in the wilderness at this point. Not, I think he, he was on the show. He was kind of around in the year 2000, maybe a little 2001. Uh, he's going to, I think, have a little stint with John Cena a little bit later on. But right now, he's just a guy who has a top rope leg drop. It looks good. Uh, John Cena defeated Reverend Devon with a roll-up. And that's kind of all the way John Cena wins matches these days. Like, he beat Chris Jericho uh, with a roll-up uh, at the last pay-per-view of Vengeance. Um, yeah, it's just how he wins matches. That's that's where John so, Cena so is. At this, this time, is John Cena thugonomics? Or is he no, 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 no. We're, we're about um, two or three months away from the be- even the beginning of that. Okay. Right now, John Cena is just like a fresh, like a nice guy. Like he's just a generic guy. But everyone's like, "Oh, he's great." But like that's that's like there's no character there at all. And, and then the uh, the main event of the episode was Funaki and Billy Kidman defeating Jajiri and Jamie Noble. And I say that with surprise because I was genuinely surprised to find out that they won. Funaki did a roll up on Tajiri and won. So so stoked to see Funaki win a match outright there. I thought it was a beautiful thing. So. That was Velocity, and so that was taped before this show. And this show was taped on August 13th, 2002. It was in Seattle, Washington at the Key Arena. It ended up being aired August 15th, 2002. And every week I like to go over the rating for the show, which is a 3.5, which if you don't know TV ratings, and I don't know why you would, 3.5 is actually pretty good. Now, the biggest question I always ask is, did it beat Raw this week? And the answer is no. Uh, But it will beat Raw at some point. 
even sh- even soon, the next few weeks, SmackDown beats Raw, which is significant because SmackDown was a higher quality show at this point, I would argue, almost throughout the entire run for sure. And sometimes beat them in the ratings. I think that's important, or at least uh, significant, right? So, all right, we right, let's dig into this week's episode. So it starts off with the, the beautiful people intro. And uh, I'm watching these guys flash by, and I can only imagine, Daniel, what it would be like to to, to watch it the first time and to see, like, this is this is the crew that we have on, on deck right now. This is rock and roll. Like, yeah. Because, so for me, just to set up a little bit of my perspective, mm-hmm. I'm coming in seeing, like, being insaturated or saturated with wrestling highlights yeah. for a large part of a wrestling fandom from the Attitude Era. And that was all I knew the Attitude Era for was these highlights. Right. And so now Clips to fill it in with just like regular weekly episodes is really neat because I get this whole other side of, oh, so that happened 10 days before that or that happened five days before that. or Right. Um, and it kind of creates the narrative that they try and create with the highlights kind of gets um, undercut a bit. When you see right. it week to week, which is precious. Right. But seeing this, I'm like, okay, when Matt's talking about this being some of the best uh, wrestling, it really is. Like, it's a stacked it's, roster. It's crazy. The rosters, the rosters, like fully ridiculous. Like two weeks ago, they're just like a Hulk Hogan. They're the Hulk Hogan Rock tag team match, and it was not the main event. It's so insane. <laughs> It's like, it's really crazy. It's, and it's not even like, you can go back and watch shows from like 1998 and you're like, oh my gosh, Rock versus Triple H, like open that show. And it's like, yeah, but they weren't anybody then. And it's like, no, no, like he was all the way Rock. He was all the way Hulk Hogan. <laughs> it's it's so goofy. I love it. And uh, interspersed amongst these people, these stars that you're looking at, they show Taz. And I mean, Taz is a commentator yes. on the show, but it's like, they act as though he's like an active wrestler. He's like, no. I mean, like, you well, show well, like Jerry Lawler. Chuck and Billy get like a spot. Oh, yeah. Well, they're, they're around, but like Taz isn't even wrestling, right? Like, that's the thing. Like, right. Billy and Chuck, at least, are like, they're putting in the work, but like, the, like Taz is not there. So, okay, we open the show with Brock Lesnar, and he's coming out. He's wearing a Hulkamania shirt. Um, and it's because he killed it the week before. And this is this, this big thing. They did a big storyline last week where he had a big, a full on main event match with Hulk Hogan. He beat him very clean. Very, very well. He did pretty much destroyed him. He he killed Hulkamania. And I just thought, you know, I, w- I appreciated that he went and uh, bought a shirt for Hulk to give him some royalties after he killed him. I thought that was nice. <laughs> he's like, there's five bucks in Hogan's pocket, even if he's supposed to be in you know, a like, collapse somewhere in a uh, in a hospital. So now, did, Brock, did Brock win? Because Brock when won. I was watching the replay, there was no bell ringing. It was just like, it just yeah, they, they, with they, they, chair shots and... Yeah, no, that was after the match. Yeah, like during the so okay. essentially he, he hit an F five and then he doesn't pin him and you're like, what? What's this about? Like, because I think in the idea of kind of from kind of like to pull back to the story perspective, it's like, oh, he didn't pin him because like it would look lame if he just beat Hulk Hogan one two three. So he F fives him, hangs out for a bit, and then picks him up, does a bear hug, and then you do he does the arm drop three times thing and Hogan's gone. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. That wasn't in the replay, wrestling. so I was like, I yeah. Well, it's funny because it's so funny to see like how they they stack it up later on. And be like, this is what happened. He's like, well, he left, and it was a whole thing of he came back to beat up Hulk Hogan more. Oh, okay. Yeah, but it's funny because like they want they just want you to know you kill Hulkamania, right? And so the idea, on like a grand story level, they're like, it doesn't matter that he won; it's that he killed Hulkamania. And it's like I don't know. It matters to me that he won the match. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, because for me, I was asking the question of right, were they protecting Hulk in that whole thing? Yeah, weird. No. So that's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. You know, weirdly, no. That's the interesting thing. And if you and if the people who were listening to the podcast, obviously, you 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 heard us talk about this last week. But like, it was really interesting to see. Like, and it's I like hearing your perspective too, Daniel. To be like, what what actually happened last week? With this? It's like yeah, it's a good question, right? We don't know. Um, 
so Brock, so Brock rips the shirt. He makes it look easier than Hogan. Like the shirt looks like it's made out of like imagine yeah. it shreds instantly. Like Hogan puts like a lot of work into. He kind of drags it out, but Brock's just like, nope, gone. Which I loved. He should have. He should have taken over the shirt ripping thing. So then there is a Paul Heyman promo. Hogan couldn't best Lesnar despite saying his prayers and taking his vitamins. He explains what happened to Hogan and shows us a clip from last week, which you, which you saw there. Um, and it includes the previously unseen footage where Hogan doesn't get any help from the paramedics. He kind of gingerly climbs the ropes. Like, like he's about to die. Like he's really. It looks, it looks really good. Like I yeah. was really yeah. impressed. I was like, I'm loving the Hogan we're getting here. Like, yeah. Yes. It's good. He well, I love it because I remember one of the last things you see the episode was like Hogan touching his bloody head and putting his hands in his hair, which clearly to make it look more dramatic, which is funny because yeah. we ended up seeing it happen here. So Paul Heyman says that Hogan isn't even the biggest trophy for Brock. He was a damn stepping stone for Brock Lesnar, and it was essentially saying this is a message to the Rock. And so Heyman gives Brock the mic. He so he starts he yells about beating the Rock, and then. Out comes Rikishi. He's wearing his pleather jacket and pants. He, he looks terrible. He, he is loved. He is loved. People are loved. going nuts. Well, I know. <laughs> There's <laughs> he does this really bad thing later on. Anyway, but yeah, so Rikishi, just to kind of establish this here, Rikishi is like for the last like a few shows we've been watching, he's objectively like he's the guy in the mid card. He's firmly in the mid card, but he's like he's the guy that you're gonna see halfway through the show who's gonna make you smile. And that is like it's like carved in stone. Like he is, I think last week Brian said he's kind of like a TV champion. Like he, that's exactly what he is. Like Rikishi is like this guy who's a good guy, but he's not a main eventer at all. So Rikishi comes out. He looks like a doofus. He takes the mic from him when he gets on the apron. Heyman calls him fat. And then Rikishi uses an insanely cheap pop when he says, here in Seattle. And it's like, okay. He draws it out, which is awesome. Oh, Seattle, right? Or something. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he says that Brock's going kiss, gonna to kiss his butt. And then he attacks Brock and closes him over the top. And then Brock saves uh, Paul Heyman from a stink face, which was, was a risk there. And some foreshadowing for later on in the night. Yes. So there, we, we have it started. So now we're all excited about a Brock-Rikishi match, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> but the last couple of shows have been really good. I actually, I think I like this show. If I remember, if, as I talk through it, I'll remember it a bit better. But um, last few weeks have been like just huge. And I just love the idea. I mean, like it's Brock Rikishi. Actually, Michael Cole makes the point for me. Or I don't know if it's Michael Cole or Taz, but someone says it's going to be one hell of a night, which sounds like a Taz line. And I was just like, okay, so last week was Brock Hogan. Now it's Brock Rikishi. Yeah, it's one hell of a night. I'm like what? <laughs> well, it's a pretty, it's a pretty stacked card all in all, right? Like it's, yeah. it's action after action. It is true. It's true. And, and and what is more action than Hurricane Shannon Moore and Hardcore Holly versus Billy Chuck and Rico? I was so. I'm watching, <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know, man. I'm watching the people come out and like I'm like, okay, so Hurricane Shannon Moore against Hardcore Holly, and then the other guys come out. I'm like, oh, okay, this is six man tag. Like I, right. I struggled to figure out like what was happening here. So, um, okay, so they promote Velocity last week. They show this confrontation between Rico and Hardcore Holly, and I love the idea that they're like going back and like, hey, you got to watch Velocity because there's stuff happening there. Which is true. Like, they're actually putting work in to be like, this show's worth watching, which is kind of crazy. Um, Michael Cole says, um, he describes people as wasting little time. He does it, like, twice in the beginning of the match. He says twice that someone's wasting a little time. And it's like, okay, Michael Cole, you have, like, you're like a wind-up doll. You just have some stuff here. <laughs> so, um, Mike Yoda is refing, and he has this great count. Like, I love, I don't know, Dan, do, do you pay attention to the refs? Like, or do you remember I, the one? I, I, I pay attention, yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and Mike, like, so I was gonna say, like, Mike Yoda is... Uh, was my relief during this match. He he was the thing that kept me going. <laughs> I love it. What's great? Like he has an amazing. I was so sad a couple months ago when he was fired. Uh, I know. Yeah, the idea that Mike Yoda, 
it felt when, yeah so my Kyoto was released in WWE a few weeks, months ago and they did all the releases from COVID-19 and um, I feel we have to point out also that like WWE has made more money this year than ever before. So releasing people is just stupid anyway. Um, but Mike Kyoto, I mean, I felt bad because I, when I heard he got released, it's like, shoot, he's probably getting paid the most because he's been there the longest. And yes. that's to let people go for that reason. And he's probably comfortable, right? Like, you, I hope so. Yeah. He I probably mean, got... won't suffer from the release. Yeah. But it's just it's just sad because he really became my he was my man. You know, yeah. I, I loved how he called matches and all that stuff. So. Absolutely. He, yeah, he made it legit. I love him. Like, how he took bumps is amazing. Yes. Oh, yeah. He did some. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're going to see some in this uh, as we go through this little journey here. I remember, I mean, we're going to get to the, the show where the cage, the, 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 um, the ring collapses. Oh, he has some good, I believe he has some good stuff there. I don't know if it's him or Charles Robinson, but I think it's a Kyoto sure. special there. So, um, Hurricane and Shannon, back to the action. Sorry, folks. Um, Hurricane and Shannon Moore combined for a kind of a, a, bl- a backslide into a second rope leg drop, which I thought looked cool. I was like, okay, I got a little bit of an interesting offense in here, which I liked. And then, and then Hurricane does a pop up Hurricane Rana followed by a Shining Wizard, and then gets a leg assisted triangle choke. And I was like, Hurricane is just like, he's just going here. He's doing like eight cool moves. I was like, man, this is sick. Um, Michael Cole, this is this is so weird. So. Michael Cole says that the ref should think about stopping the match because Hurricane takes a chin lock and then a couple other moves. And I thought that like saying he should stop the match was like pretty dramatic. <laughs> right, right. So it's just, if that's the case, like it's a tag match. Like maybe his teammates should get in there. Like it's not that like, I don't know. Some of those things are, it's like Michael Cole, like you're not calling a radio play. We can see what's happening. Like I've seen guys take a lot. Wor- like I'm not concerned about what Chuck Palumbo is going to do to Hurricane Helms. So I think it's fine. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> It's not um, the top of your priority list to care about. No, not at all. Like, it's just, don't make me, yeah, don't make me concerned about a six minute, like, is it, have you ever seen a, a six man tag match with like a bunch of undercar guys and another ref stuff? It just, it's, it's insane. Um, somebody asks, uh, will he tag hardcore or Shannon? And I just have to say, both of those are weird to hear in a wrestling match because it sounds like hardcore is not a name. Um, right. It's obviously the first part of Hardcore Holly's name, but his name is not Hardcore. And Shannon sounds like a woman's name, so it's just funny to hear them being like, well, he's taking Hardcore or a woman named Shannon. And women can wrestle, obviously, but um, not usually in six-man tag matches with Hardcore Holly. Um, and then, okay, so the, the match ends here with Billy Gunn. His is a really awesome Cobra Clutch Slam, which he was using back when he was the one Billy Gunn. It was one of okay. Billy Gunn's many kind of gimmicks there, which I thought looked cool. He like kind of wraps him up and then slams him down. And then Michael Cole says that Billy and Chuck steal one. Which yes. is yeah, which is over the top considering just like Billy Gunn was just the illegal man and then didn't move, which I would argue is barely cheating. And like in a tag team match, like technically the three D is cheating every time you do that too, if that's your metric for like what counts as cheating. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. Like like the illegal man do like it's not it's not like he's an a, a uh, like a manager anyway. So the uh, optic made sense though, because I heard that and I went, What? And then looking at the screen, it was, you know, um three to one essentially. Yes. Every, yeah, like the fair. other two were sidelined. Um, yeah. so in that sense it I guess there was a theft happening. Outnumbered. <laughs> I do. I do like. Um. I do like it in sports and especially in wrestling to say that somebody steals one. It's good. It's like because you say like, okay, you got it, but you totally delegitimize or illegitimize the the win at the moment. You're like, ah, that doesn't count. That's not fair. So, so can I jump in here for a second? Please. And yeah. 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 Complain. Yes. I want to. Um, please complain. It's okay. Two complaints about hardcore Holly. Um, okay, yeah, we, I, I, you know what? We, I, we can clear the deck for the podcast. Just complain about Hardcore Holly for two hours. <laughs> I would love it. I would love it. I think the guy's a jerk, okay. and I want to say. One, I think Hardcore Holly is just weirdly gimmicked. 
Like, I don't yeah. understand his gimmick. I don't get, like... Okay, so Hardcore Holly comes out, and he looks tough as nails. And when yes. he wrestles, he has a strong style that yes. looks tough as nails. Like, I, I love Hardcore Holly matches, but I'm so distracted by his trunks. I'm so distracted. I'm like, <laughs> that color scheme and that style... It's like a blue and black thing, right? Like... It, yeah, it doesn't, and pink sometimes, like, it just doesn't yes. fit what the name, it doesn't fit his style, it doesn't right. fit anything. He may as well still be wearing the race car spandex. It's a, yeah, I, that was my first thought, was like, okay, is he still being Sparky Plug? Is he still doing right. that? Right. Or... <laughs> so anyway, so I'm con- consistently distracted when Hardcore Holly is wrestling by his ring of time. Well, it, it's funny to say, it, it's funny to say, like, his name's Hardcore Holly, but he does nothing hardcore. There's no hardcore division on SmackDown at all. Like, it's totally like, he probably should have just gone to Bob Holly or something else. Right. Right. So, the second thing, which is, yeah. pertains to this match, is yes. so he kind of gets, like, a breakup. Like, he has a resurgence. So, after the match, and he comes back in, and he starts. This was the sloppiest, weirdest um, <laughs> kind of meltdown that I've yeah. seen in a wrestling match. So, Holly goes after, I forget who he goes after, um, and then he just stays with him. Like, it was a perfect chance for him to just, like, haul off and hit this guy, haul off and hit that guy, haul off right. and hit the other guy. And he just stuck on one, and then Helms kind of misses his cue, and so he kind of comes in slowly and goes after another guy. And then I'll, I'll let you update what happens next, but yes, we'll ask the worse. That's right. So, so after the match, there's a brief beatdown of Shannon Moore, and then... Boom! All of a sudden, Matt Hardy debuts on SmackDown, which is great because we're so welcome to the podcast, Matt Hardy. We're gonna see a lot of you there, um, and commentators are confused about why he's there. And I think I when I saw it, I was like, I hope most people didn't think this was gonna be Jeff Hardy, and now they're sad because he has the Hardy voice <laughs> theme and everything. And like my, that would be my first assumption, and I like Jeff more than I liked Matt at the time too. I think now they're I don't know Jeff is still kind of more exciting, but I felt bad for that. We <laughs> came out there. Well, Matt, Matt, Matt didn't really like this. is This is a low point for Matt Hardy, I think. Well, he gets. Well, he 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 will he will start to ascend shortly, which is good. And we have hints of that a little bit later on here. Did you? Sorry, did you have something else to say about the beatdown before we move on to Stephanie McMahon? Well, no, just I felt like Matt Hardy's run in was a yeah. continuation of this awkward, slow interference because like <laughs> right. nobody's there for him to hit. He just kind of comes in. He gets a little bit of offense off, but there's not really any sort of major. Nobody decisively scares off the other team. It's just right. this kind of like people kind of melt away. And then you're left with, no, I, I see what they're building up to. But you get Matt Hardy with Shannon and then Holly kind of off to the side. And it just felt without seeing kind of where they were going, which we see in an after interview. But it's kind of like, what's going on here? Why? Why? <laughs> What was what? all that for? <laughs> because at that point, Matt Hardy had no reason to interfere, really, because no, well, because Holly had already done the rescue, you know. Right. Well, I, they they talked a few weeks before about like, oh, Shannon Moore, like he worked the, the Hardys, so it's like they're trying to be, they're trying to give a slight reason for Matt Hardy to even be there. Period. Yeah. And so I heard that. And I was yeah. Like, okay. So you get the friends together. They all, you know, they said, you know, Helms and Shannon Moore are friends with the Hardys. So okay, that's why. But it's just really, for me, it really undercut Holly. And I think they're following right. that. I hope. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. I love that. Hardcore Holly. I don't know. If, it depends how much he has to do. I mean, I think he goes to Velocity for a while there, too. So, anyway, I thought, so after Matt Hardy saves everybody and awkwardly people are gone, 
Uh, we move on to Stephanie backstage, and she's chewing out Don Marie for accidentally giving papers to Stacey Keebler. Um, this was and so, so confusing to me. Oh my gosh, it's incredibly convoluted. First off, I also have to just say, like, as somebody who watched the episode before, like, Don, like Stacey Keebler was objectively Stephanie McMahon's like assistant. Don Marie did nothing wrong, and then it just turned out that Stacey Keebler betrayed Stephanie McMahon. So then it looks bad on Don Marie. It's just like what? Like you got betrayed by? Like I'm not the reason everything's gone bad. But yeah, so there's a convoluted situation here. I'm going to tell you exactly what happened. So essentially what happened is Stephanie McMahon got her hand on RVD's contract. So RVD had just lost the Intercontinental title to Chris Benoit a few weeks before. So Stephanie, who is not his general manager, had her hand on RVD's contract. And I don't know if it's a contract for a match or his contract, period. But she had paper that was associated with RVD. Uh, and so she was going to shred the, the contract to stop her off from possibly getting the Intercontinental title back from SmackDown because Benoit came to SmackDown. He had the belt by the law of guys transferring brands at the time. You got to keep the belt, which I will maintain is dumb because uh, it's the other show's property. You should be stripped of it. That's just how that should work. And they totally ignore that all the time because they switch up world champions and everything like that. So because Stephanie could not shred this because this, that contract got back to Eric Bischoff, it's now Benoit versus RVD for the Intercontinental title at SummerSlam, which is going to be not this week, next week, but, uh, you know, 10 days from now. And uh, she also, this is where Stephanie Mann also drops that she signed Matt Hardy and also that she bought ad time on Raw. And as somebody who is not watching Raw along with the show, I don't know what came of that. Like, it's funny to say, like, I bought airtime. I, I assume next week there's going to be like a 30 second spot of Stephanie, like folding her arms and looking professional. And then Jerry, JR and, and Lawler are like, oh, oh SmackDown's getting right in our business or something. Like, I don't I don't know what that could be. So does that title does the title situation get any more sense to you after I explained it there, Daniel? No. But no. that's fine. <laughs> because the, it does. But the re, like the whole brand feud. Yes. Um, I knew I knew it was bad, but this was a great insight into how bad it was. You know what? I will say, I think that the I think there's some decent stuff in the brand extension and the feuds in there that can happen. I think we've talked a little bit about, about before on the podcast where they make some weird assumptions where uh, I, where they think there are SmackDown fans and Raw fans, and that's not the case. People weren't like that. Obviously, I, I like SmackDown more, so maybe I'm immediately proving that is correct. But um, like this is an interesting case because I feel like last week they wanted to have a moment in the show last week where Stacey Keeler betrays Stephanie McMahon. And she talks to Eric Bischoff. They have a moment where they laugh, and it's all nefarious. And then this week you have a situation, and I don't even know if they would have even known what they were. This was going to be because then we get to this week, and they're like, "Yeah, it's his rematch. It's his rematch clause, and he has it, but we got, we had to shred it, but we didn't shred it because he gave it to the wrong person. And now we're gonna have a match at SummerSlam. And on some level, if I'm Stephanie McMahon and I'm super excited like a Chris Benoit, I go like, "Well, that sucks, but like maybe Chris Benoit should defend the title. Like, is, like, is that like that's not that great? Like, yeah, he could lose it to Raw, but like." Don't you think he's good? Like, shouldn't you like be fine with that? Right, like, right. That's, that's a really good point. Yeah, like on some level, it's just like you're still in a you're still in a situation where like people are competing physically. Like this should not be <laughs> should not be horrible to you. Now, now something I'll give this episode kudos yeah. for, and I you can tell me if it's kind of a consistent thing around this era, mm-hmm. is that the build to SummerSlam is done really well. And right. Like every segment, I'm excited for SummerSlam 2002. Right. Like. I'm yeah. Like, oh, that's going to be a great match. Oh, that's going to be a great match. Oh, that's exciting. That's going to be a great match. So yeah, you know, they they hit it well here. That we're in now in the COVID era of pay per views getting exactly one week of build up. Oh my gosh. And matches getting like one week of attention before they go. 
this was really refreshing for me. Yeah. There was some really nice, um, yeah, just build up some excitement. Some this is important. This is going to be good. Uh, and matches leading up to the pay per view that actually had definitive conclusions right. that made sense and didn't involve all the players, you know. So yeah. just like you know, feeding guys other good competitors to kind of get a one up on before the pay per view. Good stuff there. So big kudos to SmackDown uh, leading up to SummerSlam. Yeah, I've, I, I 100% agree with you. I hope that they maintain that throughout the next few months. Obviously, SummerSlam is going to get kind of a bigger build for it, for sure. And, I mean, <clears throat> the funny – the thing about it, like, I think – I used to think before, I was like, oh, wrestling could be better, and it's too bad because I would like it to be better. But I think that on some level, we also have to recognize when we say things like things aren't built very well now, there's one week of everything like that, we have to also recognize, like, them doing that also means they're going to make less money. Ultimately, because if they don't put enough care in it and you don't care enough about guys or matches, like you're not going to spend money on it. You're not going to care about it as much. Right. And so you have to put in the work and like obviously and work backwards. Right. I mean, I like if I was if I was a wrestling broker worth my salt, I would have, I don't know, magnet boards or something for the next like six pay-per-views or longer. I'd be like, OK, well, we need to get to Rock Brock. So how do we do that? Oh, you know, he wins King of the Ring. He, he kills Hulk Hogan. And then, they, you know, they, everything that happens there. So. I mean, just doing it now is just laziness, and I think part of it is that yeah, they they make too much money otherwise. So, anyway, I'm glad that you I'm I'm glad you you caught on that too though. Just the fact that it's like oh, this is like well, they're they're like doing good because I think they've also kind of it did it in a crusting way too. Where like week one, you're like okay, we know the main event of SummerSlam, that's about it, and then even like even the the Ray um, Kurt Angle thing that happens a bit later on. That just gets set up tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like Ray mentions last week, or I think it was last week that um, he's like, I'll take care of Kurt Angle, and you're like, okay, like. It's not clear in that moment. He's like, I'm going to challenge him to a match at SummerSlam. Just like, that's going to be like, that's a few kind of happening there. So, um, so Stephanie, let's get back to the segment here. Yeah. Uh, so Stephanie sends Don Marie to get Chris Benoit after telling her to dress more professionally, AKA have less cleavage. Just real quick. Something I'm realizing here too. Do you know who Don Marie is? No, no. Okay. That's hilarious. So Don Marie was from ECW. So she was around ECW. She's, she's a little bit older than the other divas who are here. Um, which is, I don't know, probably tough, right? Especially back in here where like all that matters is that you're your attractive. Body. Yeah, your body. Exactly. And so, um, she does well. I think Don Marie is all right here. I find it anyway, Stephanie's whole cohort backstage is so weird in this time because like her system was Stacey Keebler and then she's Don Marie. Like, it's just like, it's just like all the like attractive women. Like there's no, there's no men there. There's no like women who aren't divas. It's just a weird little like grouping that she has there. Anyway, we I, go I, re- I really yeah. bought Don Marie's like um, her her sort of um, her plight yes. in the face of this angry, <laughs> unreasonable boss. I, yeah. I thought she did a really good job of like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> like sheepishly, like just kind of like let's get this over with. Right. Um, yeah, Stephanie. Stephanie's funny here because her character is like not inconsistent, but like she's. She's like, okay, so she's motivated by the fact she's not her father. That's a whole thing that comes up. She doesn't she doesn't really respect her father, which is fair because her storyline father is storyline Vince McMahon, which is not a nice guy in WWE at this time. And like she's also she's competing against this ruthless guy in Eric Bischoff. And sometimes she like really excites excited about the wrestlers. Uh, oh, actually, there's a weird segment coming up in like two minutes here, which I'll get yes. to. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. So. So first, okay, after Don Marie is sent to get Chris Benoit, Edge walks backstage. He's wearing leather pants and a sweater. Which, if you wear that, I just want to applaud you for wearing an insane outfit, which Edge is doing. Uh, and I think I could, you could do this all day, but just the idea that wrestlers are showing up in the middle of the show is so funny. Like the right. 
especially when they've been there since like nine or something like we're, like it's like what like what if edge got stuck, stuck in traffic like he would get fired he would he would deserve it <laughs> but but man he doesn't care he's he does he's not just, care and he's a good guy for doing it too they don't, he's like applauded for not caring well really so this here was really exciting to me uh, yeah because as we mentioned a little earlier my exposure to edge started on my kind of wrestling resurgence so he was rated our superstar. Yes, had, a very different. He had edge. just had his first small title reign, uh, live sex celebration, all that stuff. Uh, I come in and he just had his hardcore match with Mick Foley. Right. So I'm going in with Edge v John Cena for like months. Like that's that's the edge that I'm getting. Right. And um, I love it. So like that's the edge that I love. That's the edge I know and love. And so going back and getting to see this, getting to see an edge that's loved by the crowd. Right. Um, really big pop when he shows up in that little vignette. Yes. And uh, it's just really nice to see that he had um, some really good exposure before he really got running as a yes. heel. Because I always felt bad for him that his, his sort of popularity came at the expense of, you know heel pops are different right like like yeah oh for sure title wins heel you know i always have had the impression that i've always respected heels but i've always had the impression that they have the easy way into the top of the card yes um, because they kind of yeah. have to be there yeah exactly they get, they, and, they, the and it's face. fun to be evil and it's easier to be evil yeah yeah so then it was nice to be able to see that edge had some fun in the sun as a baby face um and we see more of that too. And he looks good tonight. He looks good. He does. Good. You're right. Absolutely. It, it, yeah. He's interesting, right? Cause like he had the whole, obviously as in the brood, he was a heel in uh, with Edge and Christian, he was a bad guy. And then kind of a 2001 to 2002. Yeah. He's just like a good, he's just a nice guy. He's just excited about the crowd. <laughs> That's like yeah. his, his whole thing. So we go, uh, and then we, we get to um, see Matt Hardy backstage. He's talking to the guys that he just saved. Uh, he says, he's, I'm here on SmackDown and he drops, he says, I'm going to be Matt Hardy version one. And the guys are kind of confused about that. And I was excited because it's the beginning of Matt Hardy V1, which I which I loved. I'm excited to see this play out in real time. Matt Hardy version one. It's funny to see that it was unveiled by him just telling a confused cohort of wrestlers backstage that uh, he is Matt Hardy version one. <laughs> it's like, okay. They don't know what to make well, of that. Well, this is where the end of that six-man tag started to make sense to me. Where it was right. like, oh, <laughs> They also get the feeling that they didn't need to be saved necessarily. They're kind of like, what's right. he doing here? Why is he getting into this? Um, he's mentioning, like, so happy I could come out and help you guys. They're like, right. I need your help. But that's on their face, not in their words. Yes. So I was like, okay, that kind of – that gives some justification for the awkwardness I was feeling at the end of that match. Um, right. So it's always was, nice when that can happen, when you can when – when, when there's, like – you can see this thing as a problem, and then it's like, okay, that was kind of supposed to be a problem. Not all yeah. of it, obviously, because you, you hit on some very, not all very reasonable it, stuff. Yeah, I don't think they executed well at all, but it was nice to see some thought behind what we saw. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we go now we go to such an odd segment. Chris Benoit arrives in Stephanie Man's <laughs> office. Tom has got him. So she pumps him up with this weird energy, and I think that's the only way I can describe it. She has this weird energy. She says, you're going to make RVD tap out. She makes Rock Benoit the main event, saying that uh, she, he's going to beat Rock to send RVD a message, which is funny to say you're going to beat our world champion to send the RVD a message. It's like, yeah, I guess you'd send him a message if you beat the world champion. You probably should challenge him to a title match if that's the case. And then. Can Chris you answer Benoit... me a question, Matt? Yes, please. 
has Stephanie had this dynamic recently with anybody else or with Chris Benoit? Or is this okay. out of nowhere? <sighs> okay, this is a really good question. This is a very, <laughs> this is a very valid question. Um, not to this extent. I think she has pumped people up before. She has, like, she is kind of not a player's coach in the sense that she's like, oh, there are people excited to go wrestle for her. But, like, I don't know. There's kind of, a like, a general sending troops into battle and getting them pumped up thing, which is weird. But this is... This is next level. This is one of the stranger things I've seen her do. But this this, this is her getting off on Benoit. Yes. She oh loves Oh my gosh. It. It's so weird. And then, so Benoit so... says, he's, he's, he says to RVD, I'm going to make him moan, which yeah. is weird in wrestling. Not weird if you were <laughs> wanted to have a physical relationship with Rob Van Dam, but it's weird in wrestling. And then he also says, I'm going to make him whimper. I'm going to make him squeal. And it's so strange and I mean, on some level, whenever, whenever Chris Benoit is intense on television, it's hard not to just <laughs> to think about what he ended up doing. Uh, and oh, I talked, yeah. I talked early weeks on the show about Chris Benoit. I'm trying to, I think there's a way you can watch Chris Benoit's wrestling and not necessarily divorce him from his character or either excuse that. I'm kind of walking a fine line um, where I think, I think ultimately. If everything, all things were kind of figured out, I think that Chris Benoit probably not found criminally responsible for the death of his wife and son because I think there's a combination of literal mental illness, mental degradation, and also steroid rage as well. So anyway, I feel like I have to talk, I'll talk on, touch on that every other few weeks, especially when Chris Benoit is being weird and possibly infecting Stephanie McMahon with really weird energy. Well, he sort of instigated, instigated yes. and he and she just follows up. She just goes for it, and they're just like, right. make him tap. Make him moan. Like, it's just like, what is going on? And to top it all off, Chris Benoit's hair. Yes. Anything but sexy. Yeah. And so it's just this really strange juxtaposition between, like, what is going on on the top of your head? And why are you trying to, like, get into Stephanie's pants? So these are all (laughs) things that are going through my head while I'm watching this segment. Yeah, Benoit, Benoit has some weird fluffy hair around this time. Like, I know when he first debuted, it was like, it's just kind of soft looking. Like, it just looks like I want to touch it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it doesn't it doesn't help him with his, like, persona. Yeah. Is, I love like, it. You've heard, okay, he's already hitting on the fact that there's multiple people on the people on this show, multiple guys on the show who are kind of self-professed to be these tough guys. And they have elements of their appearance that are like, what? Like, you're wearing weird racing pants. You got, like, a fluffy hair. Like, what's what are you doing? Anyway, yeah. this is good. You should have been backstage being like, Give that guy a crew cut. Give that guy a garbage bag, a garbage uh, can full of weapons. Like this is not hard. Well, because like when I when I got into it, right. So uh, another layer to my story that you know about is that um, when I got into wrestling in 2006, mm-hmm. I found some DVDs in like a Walmart bin. Yes, classic. I love it. So they were back from, then you can find them so They much. were from 2004, so I yeah, got yeah. a little bit of a look back, but not too far back. But but this is, you know, 2004 is Benoit's champion, and yes. he has this nice lick-back hair situation. So, like, by that time, they had refined his look to be, like, a mean, toothless badass, right? Yeah. It's like, it's like they were like, we should make a main eventer, and they were like, we can, we can do something with this look a little bit. I'm yeah. glad somebody did that. So, uh, we go from a really awkward moment backstage... <laughs> To uh, to Mark Lloyd, he's this little interviewer guy. Um, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, where we <laughs> didn't. I didn't know what his name was, uh, but he's, he's Mark Lloyd. He's a little guy. He's backstage with Kurt Angle, and Kurt Angle starts to complain about the match last week. And so Ray interrupts, and Ray Mysterio Jr. of course, uh, to to challenge Kurt to a match at SummerSlam. And so Angle makes some short jokes, and then he says, 
La freaking Cucaracha, you're on, pal, which is some great A Kurt Angle business, which I love. He follows that up with the Wizard of Oz Munchkin joke, which is great. And then Mark Henry pops by. And this is great. Yeah. So he calls so he calls uh, Angle out on being a little man. And then Angle says, World's Strongest Man, is that for weightlifting or body odor? Which, honestly, that was funnier than I would have expected. It's like totally like... <laughs> the, 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 this, this segment was great. It was yeah. just... Uh, it hit all the notes, and it was funny, and everybody got their time. Rey Mysterio came off looking really strong, that he was yeah. like, hey, take my channel seriously, man. Like, I'm not... I'm not backing away. I'm not joking. Yeah. And, uh, you know, played into the jokes and then just got serious. Yeah. I, I love that too. Cause it's like, I, I think in wrestling, you can definitely like, I'm going to have somebody challenging you. You don't take it seriously, which is good. But then somebody like, if they step back to you, if they kind of double down on it, it's like, there's a moment of like, Oh crap. Like this guy's like, this guy's for real. This guy's not like messing around. It's so easy to be like, you could be like, uh, you know, have your challenge diminished and then go like, ah, well, we'll see you in the ring. But it's like, no, I like the idea of being like standing up for yourself and like, you know, put yourself out there. Um, and and th- so this was one of those moments I was talking about where I was getting excited for SummerSlam. Yeah. And then now they're going to up the ante later on and really make this feud sing. So, yeah, exactly. Well, and you know, this is, and I love, I like my Henry coming by because this is something that's happened that we're seeing in the last few weeks as well is the show is pretty good at having moments where, Something happens, and then somebody else is there, and it's not like this unnatural thing per se. It's just kind of like they can, yeah, they can build multiple things at once, right? So this segment ends with Angle challenging Mark Henry to a match right now, and after the break, it's going to happen, and we get we get exactly that. It's Kurt Angle Angle versus Mark Henry, um, and I thought this is actually I actually really like this match. Like I really enjoyed really this. Good. I thought it was like, and I totally was caught off guard by it. Um, but yeah, so okay, so Kurt, <laughs> this is so good. Kurt Angle, I, I'm going to keep singing his praises. He might be the guy I talk most about in this whole series because he comes out during he his entrance. And he, I know, exactly. It's it's so funny to be like, it's crazy that I'm saying Kurt Angle is great. But he has, Kurt Angle comes out during his entrance and he has this look on his face and he gen, it genuinely looks like he's saying he doesn't like being told you suck. And not in like an exaggerated wrestling, like, ah, oh, my bag, I kind of wait. It looks, it's like, it looks like it bothers him. It looks like every time he walks through the curtains, people saying that at him, it bothers him. And I just like Kurt is so good. He does all the little. Th- he does all the big things right. He does all the little things right. He gets all the details. He's also hilarious, which is insane. Like he should not also be hilarious. And oh my gosh! So I'm reminded uh, as I'm watching this. This match actually happened a few weeks ago, but then Brock Lesnar interrupted it. So this is not the first time we've seen Kurt Angle versus uh, Mark Henry. Oh. Okay. Uh, so Michael Cole try, he tries on JR's hat by telling us all about Mark Henry's real athletic accomplishments, which JR loved to do. Tell you where a guy went to school and especially, <laughs> oh my God, back in WCW, watch some old WCW. He loved, JR loved to talk about that stuff. You know, can the end block How long, how long has Mark Henry been back after winning the World's Strongest Man competition? Do you know? So I think it was mid nineties, right? Like I think, I think he went to the Olympics. Well, did he go to the Olympics or not? No, but it was mid nineties. No, because he went, he went back. So he was getting a lot of flack. Okay. For not being the world's strongest man anymore. Oh, okay. And so like, the world's strongest men people mm-hmm. were like making fun of him, and so he went to Vince and said, "Hey, like I got to go compete in the competition again and become world's strongest man." I don't know if I knew this. This is great. And so then Vince said, "Okay, I'll let you go, but you have to win because there's no room for the second world's strongest man." Right. <laughs> yeah. So he went and he won the competition. And then that's when they started pumping up his uh, World's Strongest Man gimmick again. 
So well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe this happened after this still. It might be after this because I don't think because Mark Henry doesn't really do it. He's not like um, he's not a big role in this show at all. Like he comes out and they act like he's this big kind of impressive athletic guy but like they do nothing with him per se like this match is good but obviously like he's not another problem but like that's an interesting story too and i I do love that dynamic of anytime a real life thing happens where it's like you can do that but only if you do you have to win um he's like okay that's like he's taking a real risk which i love so uh it's okay so the match uh angle he takes this great pop-up military press pancake which looks great oh that was amazing oh it looks so good and then Henry does this thing, which I don't know what to call it. Other one, like kind of like a hip drop through the ropes, which he just kind of like he lays the guy on the rope and then he runs through and jumps, jumps on him. And it always looks like he kills the guy. Yeah. And I, I looked at it and I thought, you know, if a cruiserweight did that, it would look like you killed the guy. <laughs> like, and then, then, then like, I was like so impressed by that. And then suddenly Mark Henry starts, I think his ankle hurt and he hurt yes. on that move specifically. And I was like, okay, so even though this is kind of like telegraphing what might happen in this match, I kind of love it. It's like, okay, like it's believable. Mark Henry would tweak it. It's yeah. not that weird. It's exactly what happened in a real life athletic situation, right? Where you see a guy get kind of get tweaked up. Maybe he's, he's hurting his shoulder a little bit. The quarterback hurts his arm. You're kind of like, Ooh, I don't know. And then it's like, like it just, it seems like a real physical injury that could happen in competition, which I love. So here's so, what I love about this yeah. match. I love. So, okay. Mark Henry in, you know, 2011 is, you know, Hall of Pain, Mark yes. Henry. Yes, this is kind of this great so the, time this, for Mark Henry. This is the Mark Henry that I know, and mm-hmm. it's a refined Mark Henry. It's a Mark Henry who knows his style, who understands his spot on the card, who understands yeah. how he can leverage his look, and it's all very um, pragmatic, you know, and it is step-by-step, uh, step and it's clean, right, yeah. but kind of mechanical. What I love about this match between him and Kurt Angle is Mark Henry does not have a style yet. Right. He's still figuring himself out. He's just like again, a strong dude. He picks people so up. I can take a shot at the attire again. He's wearing yeah. almost magenta singlet. It's awful. <laughs> anyway, but the main I liked point it, but I get that. is that even though he's not refined or doesn't have a consistent style going on, there's something loose that's mm. really attractive about how he's wrestling tonight. Sure. Um, when he when he does that kind of slide across Kurt's back to the outside of the ring, it just looks... It, it was reminding me of a Jeff Hardy 2009, where there was this kind of carelessness, put your body on the line, just like throw yourself around and hope it hurts the other person. Right. And to see that out of a big guy like Mark Henry was really cool. Um, to see the bump he takes later on with the... Uh, when Kurt kind of does the leg block or the yes. uh, top block. Um, he, he was, yeah, Mark Henry was impressing me with the fluidity of his movements. So which, which is funny because I think a couple weeks before this, Taz said like, uh, he mentioned or something like, uh, oh, Mark Henry can dunk a basketball. I remember the time we talked about like, what is that? He doesn't wrestle like he can dunk a basketball. So like, don't tell me that. Like, he doesn't That's do right. that at all. But it's, I like, I like you hearing like, he actually is athletic and it's exactly right. So, after uh, after Mark Henry tweaks his leg, he grabs Angle around the midsection, but Angle rolls through. He gets Ang- uh, Henry in an ankle lock. Uh, then he counters it. He kicks Angle to the floor. Uh, Henry gets in some offense, but Angle gets the ankle lock in again, and Henry ends up tapping. And, yeah, solid, totally solid match. Angle is so good. It was a good story. Like, th- this is one of those things I think you should study and be like, why does this work? Why is this good? Makes Mark Henry look – there's a way you can make guys look good. Like, this is the thing. 
there's ways you can do matches where both guys look good. And it's not one way to do it, right? Because I think people, like, the default is, okay, the match ends and someone gets disqualified, and so neither guy loses, so they both look good. And it's like, eh, I think you just kind of lose people a little bit with that. The other thing is people think, okay, in that case, you make both guys look good by one guy dominates the match, the other guy ends up winning, either, either by fluke or just kind of getting it out there, and then both guys look good. It's like, yeah, but then, like, then you get into matches where you, where you see guys dominate the whole time, and you're like, you either think that guy shouldn't dominate or the other guy shouldn't win. And it doesn't do the same thing. And in this match, you have a situation where a guy, like, and I think this is maybe something people should kind of like do a bit more is like, okay, he kind of got injured a little bit. And no, you don't think people are like weaker when they're injured. You're just recognizing, oh, something happened to them there. And so someone takes advantage of it. You're like, yeah, I don't think Mark Henry, I don't think less of the guy because he did a move and he ended up getting tweaked on the floor. Like that, like every, you know, six episodes, someone should like pull their hamstring or something like that. Not like, I don't want people to get hurt, but like, it's kind of totally believable. I'm trying yeah. to do it. No, uh, I, I think there's really something there. Yeah, I think I, something to consider. So for all the dozens of wrestling bookers who are li- listening to this show, make sure take take note of that. There's other ways you can make people. <laughs> um. So then Rey Mysterio shows up, hits Kurt Angle with a Hurricane Rana, and then and then he hits a six one nine on Angle when he's on the floor, which I've like never seen before. Okay. Which is totally, totally cool. And then okay, you tell me what happens. So at we then we see Kurt Angle is bleeding. Yeah, okay, so this is what I wanted to ask you about earlier. Okay, yeah, yeah. we started recording, because yeah. I was like, what, what, what made Angle bleed? Like, was okay. it Hurricane Rana? Was it the 619? Was it the, I just missed it. And I so my, my first reaction when I watched it is like, okay, he bladed, right? He, he, he cut himself. Yeah. But then when I thought about it for like a second, and then I went back and watched like a little bit more, I was like, Oh, I think it, he might have just got like hit something or like, because like he's he's bleeding from like the top of his head. Where you wouldn't usually do that. Like I don't know. Like no, I could be totally I think wrong. About it. I, I think, you think so. I because late later on in the night it starts bleeding again and it's right on his forehead. Okay, but it wasn't on his forehead the first time. I swear it was on the top of his head the first time. No, no, it spread from the middle. Right. I don't know. Maybe he cut him. Maybe he cut himself lengthwise like a book or something. He just opened up his head. <laughs> right. Anyway, but, but again, it's totally shocking to see a weekly television show where people almost every week are bleeding. This right. is a thing that happens then, and it doesn't happen now. Now, I'm a fan of color. I love it right. when this happens. It just enhances things. So even though it didn't make sense, I thought Kurt Angle looked like a badass, and I was just into it. I also was confused why Rey yeah. Mysterio is the one that's kind of jumping in at the end here and kind of trying to get one up on Kurt Angle. He's right. supposed to be the good guy. Like, why is he... Was he really bothered by the up? conversation before? Is that what we're supposed to think? Well, I think I think it was like, you don't take me seriously. Now you're going to take me seriously. Right. But I think it's a valid point, though, too. It's just like that's not typically the move, right? Like maybe if Kurt like beat up Mark Henry a bit more, and, like try to hurt the ankle, maybe it made more sense for Rey Mysterio to go, okay, I'll defend this guy and I'll come out and do it. But it is, right. it, but it is a interesting. Clean win. That, yeah. <laughs> and then Rey Mysterio just comes out and just gives him hell. Now, at the same time, when I was watching it, I was like, I was marking out. I was popping. I was like, right. Rey Mysterio, yeah, he's getting his come up as But then after <laughs> I thought about it, I was like, wait, like, so it worked, but it doesn't really follow logic. And that's right. fine. That's Wrestling fair. can do that. And it, yeah, if there's time, especially if you go, if you like something and then someone goes back and explains why it's dumb, it doesn't make the year dumb. It just means that it worked in a way that's kind of cool. It's like, that's yeah. good. And, and that's true. Like every, any movie where there's a dumb uh, plot hole, but you don't care is great. Right. <laughs> like the best thing. 
So then we move into, oh my gosh, the the, the match we've been waiting for. It's Brock versus Rikishi. Brock Lesnar is going to face Rikishi. <laughs> so I'm, I'm getting the sense here that you don't, you don't really, you're not on board with Rikishi here. Like you're kind of feeling like this is kind of a subpar situation. I think it's, it, it's so funny to me watching this and seeing like that there's like, I see a whiteboard that says Rikishi on it with an asterisk next to it, meaning like this guy means something. And it doesn't mean that he's a big deal, but like there's, they have a, they have a vision for who this guy is. And it's so funny to me what he, he's just like, he's, he's like the guy who can be the kind of in the middle of a house show and everybody likes him. And like, he, he's just like, he's just peaked. Like, this is like, I know that he was obviously, he was a main eventer back in 2000 or whatever. Um, but here they're like, okay, look, he's in the mid card. That's all he is. But he is like firmly there. Like he's like, he's hammered in at that position. So, yeah, so uh, Brock's coming down the aisle, and I, I just was thinking about it this time. So Brock jumps onto the apron from the floor, and I just think it's such a crucial part of his presentation mm-hmm. because he's this big – he's huge, and he's clearly athletic. So there's kind of a sense of what can he do. Like he's just like – he kind of floats his way up there. He looks big. He moves quickly. You're like, oh, my gosh. Is, who? Like this guy is like next level, and he was, which is great. Michael Cole, <laughs> pawn Rikishi's entrance, he says, it's rump-shaking time. And you can practically read his notes as like clearly it's like when Rikishi comes out, say it's rum shaking time. We're trying to make that a thing. Might do that on a shirt. I'm sure there was a shirt that said it's rum shaking time. I might have even seen one. I'd never bought one, thankfully. And, yeah, I know. So uh, Michael Cole says that uh, you could argue this match matters more to Rikishi than Mark than Brock Lesnar. And I was thinking, like, obviously, like Rikishi has a match against a big guy. Like, of course, that's exactly the case. Like, what else would it mean? Um, I just, so, like, so I'm going to jump in here with my. Please my perspective on Rikishi here, because I'm surprised that it's different than yours. Yes. Um, Because now keep in mind, so I'm just jumping into this episode. This is my first episode from this era that I'm watching straight through. And I welcome this. It's like I'm watching the show and my my buddy comes in, hey, you're just sitting down, you're watching it. This is your perspective on it. it You're not following week to week. Right. So I'm just here and I'm seeing it. So, okay, my understanding of Rikishi during this time is what you're explaining. He is a gimmick. He is a gimmick that is settled in the mid-card, and people love him. But as I'm watching him at the beginning of this show, and then now, Mm -hmm. during the match, I wrote down, I did not know Rikishi was a contender. Because that's what he comes across as here. Sure. Well, him and Brock Lesnar go tit-for-tat here. Right. There's this no, is kind of, the thing. This is a case of what I said before of like the two guys who have a match and one guy kind of comes out on top more so. I think that's kind yeah. of what they're trying to do here. As somebody yeah, who's well, watched really, Rikishi matches, really I don't find that believable. Rikishi though. takes Brock Lesnar not to the limit, but like to a close, right? Close See, to that. And that's where I'm part, part of me is kind of like, like you, you beat Hulk Hogan last week, you killed Hulkamania. Or that's how I'm supposed to understand it. And now Rikishi is giving you a run for your money. Like, it's yeah, one of those so, things so that's all the time. This is what's like, going eh. through my head, right? Yeah. So, Sitting down for this episode, I'm told that this guy killed Hulk Hogan, and now I'm seeing Rikishi put up a big fight. So yeah, now yeah. I'm thinking that Rikishi is a bigger deal than I ever thought he was. Right. Ever. And I'm seeing Rikishi put on some really good offense. And so I'm just like, wait, was I wrong about Rikishi? But now you're telling me that I wasn't. <laughs> but, yeah. but from no. this, if I just snapshot, if I Polaroid this match, I'm like, Rikishi is the man. Right. See, I think that's interesting, and I think that might be a mistake for the show because that's what you're taking, but that is not what the show is trying to do big picture. Like, right. they want Rikishi to matter, 
but I'm not, like, I don't think that they did Brock Lesnar any damage here. But it's one of those things where like you have to you have to recognize this consequence of this for this stuff. And if you're kind of like, oh, Rikishi's a big deal, it's like eh, you're, he is at the expense of Brock Lesnar in this situation. For sure, but they need but they need a Rikishi to be bigger than he was in order for this to lead to the Rock, right? Like for yes. this to be another message, right? So I think they succeeded in a certain way. Yeah, no, for sure. So um, getting to the action here a little bit, uh, Brock dodges a charge from Akishi, uh, but it's crazy because there's like almost no room to do it. Like he leaves like really close, like essentially Brock goes in and he dot like it's dodged instantly. And it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, that's crazy that they like could pull that off. So Brock hits this huge belly to belly on Rikishi, which is like, which oh. looks so epic. It looks like it could be a finisher. Like if, if you're that big and you get tossed like that, it looks insane and it looks like it killed you. I, I wrote here just like, <laughs> where the f did the bailey the belly come from so for those of you who oh hilarious yes, yes. now at bailey i'm like when did the belly to belly suplex become like a hip toss to the side well we see we see both we see both a great overhead belly to belly suplex and then when rikishi fights out of this kind of this hulk killing bear hug which is hilarious in its own right he gets his belly to belly which is like he grabs them and just kind of twists them into the ground which doesn't look bad i will say okay. it's just not it's just not in the same stratosphere yeah. as pick a guy up and toss him clean over your head like it doesn't matter it doesn't mean yeah so after uh rikishi gets his belly to belly uh he this is the belly to belly um he hits he goes for a stink face uh, of course I'm, i don't know why i feel like i have to explain this rikishi for those who don't know has a big butt and his ring gear is pretty much like a thong sort of thing it's not so dramatic but it's clearly designed to it's uh, like a sumo wrestlers yeah but but like but clearly designed to be even more so than that like here's a butt and so, so he's going for Brock, and then Paul Heyman interrupts, and he ends up getting uh, beaten up, and he falls in the opposite corner. And so there's this kind of moment of Rikishi being like, okay, sh- whose who's face should I put my butt in, essentially? It's kind of a whole thing. <laughs> and the crowd, I think the crowd kind of wants to for Heyman a bit more. And so Brock Lesnar kind of comes up, and he, he goes to defend Heyman, but he gets thrown out, and Paul Heyman takes the stink face. Uh, kind of makes, makes it a little stinkier, even. And then uh, Brock comes in, and he hits a huge F5 on Rikishi, and that's all she wrote. And I've seen, I think Rikishi took an F5 when Brock like debuted, which is crazy. But Brock Lesnar just has this finisher that he can do it to everyone. He did it to Mark Henry. He's done it to Rikishi. He will do it to Big Show. Um, did he ever hit Braun Strowman with one? He must have, right? I'm just oh, thinking about yeah. other people. Oh. Yeah, like, like Brock Lesnar has this move that is incredibly impressive when he does it, and he can hit it on everyone without exception on the roster. <laughs> like, he's done it to everyone. Well, a show, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And so poor Paul Heyman, of course, uh, t- takes the butt. He gets the win. Uh, Brock does, but Paul Heyman has to take that, which is too bad. And then so we go backstage and we see Tori Wilson prepping backstage for her match with Nydia. Um, Really f- funny to see them hype up wrestling match between two women who are like barely trained, not really wrestlers. I say that again, not because uh, women can't be wrestlers, because now women can be incredible wrestlers. Uh, to the point where everything, every women's match we touch on in this program will be a complete and utter embarrassment compared to what they do today. And it's completely insulting and horrible. Well, well the, the emphasis on Tori Wilson's crotch as, right. it, as the camera pans up is, right. was, was shocking. Was shocking. Yeah, it's, <laughs> thank you for putting it that way. Because <laughs> it's, it is. You're just like, it's, it could not be more of, like, I wonder how those things are phrased to people. It's like, okay, you'll stretch. We're going to focus on your crotch. And then we're going to pull back and see there's more of you. That's also a body that's good to see. That's what we're going <laughs> to do. So, um, we get to, <laughs> so now we get to my low light of the show. And okay. it's 
Funaki, who I'm always a fan of Funaki. He's going he, to win on velocity coming up the week. So whatever happened here didn't affect him too bad because he wins on velocity. So Funaki interviews he was media. Great. I love his little uh, so crap, like his hype up. It's so cute and it's good. And I hope it's not insulting to him. I hope it's not something like, ah, it's funny because he's Japanese. I hope it's not. I don't think it is per se. I think he's funny in his own way. And I just, I'm always going to shout out. Well, this is after the subtitle gimmick? Yes. Yes. He's firmly in the stack number one announcer at this point, which is such a funny thing. Like he's a wrestler, but he's also going to interview people. He's just, he's he's legitimately charming. I'm just going to say that. So, um, so I love this. Nidia is dressed exactly like she usually does when she comes down to the ring with her boyfriend, Jamie Noble. But now she has elbow pads on. And I just love that's what you do. Like, like I could be wearing my T-shirt and jeans right now, but I put on elbow pads. It's like, okay, he's here to work. He's you're you're work. a wrestler now, man. <laughs> and so Nidia starts talking about how attractive she is, specifically her chest. She tries to make Funaki touch her butt, but he resists. And then there's arguing in the background. And then randomly, truly randomly, Batista who is at this point with Devon, he throws Devon, Reverend Devon through a door yelling about respect. And I couldn't help, like, so did they break up as a team in the middle of a Funaki Nidia interview? Is that what to understand about this? Like, well, that's, that's, the, they... that's the question that I asked myself because I didn't know the history. Was, yes. Did I just witness the breakup of <laughs> We're gonna Reverend see Devon and Deacon Batista? Right, we're going to see more, but I think that is like, I just love that idea. It's like, okay, guys, we have the show all laid out. Like, you have to imagine it's just somebody being like, oh, we were going to have Batista and Devon break up here. Someone's like, okay, where can we do that? Where can we do that? Where can we do that? It's like, what about during the part of the show where uh, Nidia is trying to force herself on Funaki? I think, okay, that's the thing I want to kind of hit on. And (laughs) pun intended or what? Yeah, no, not not intended. I think it's important. Like, it's important in this situation to just imagine a situation where the roles are reversed in this gender thing. Where and this is essentially I want to point out how, how how shocking this is because imagine if a man wrestler was like I'm so hot and then he took a small Japanese woman and was like touch me here it's like that's assault that's like we make you the biggest villain of all time and Funaki obviously it's played for laughs here but like it is important to call out that like Funaki was violated in some regard here or at least there was the attempt was made and I think that it's I'm not I'm not even really half joking here I feel bad for Funaki. I mean it. But it all uh, it also calls to just the paradigm that we're in in 2002 yes. around how women are treated. And there's the flip side of the coin, right? In that it's okay, quote, scare quotes, I'm doing yes. scare quotes here. It's okay because she's a woman and because we can disrespect her uh frontally like offensively we can also have her uh, assault defensively so this is so like kind of like because of her status right here like this is kind of at the time an empowering sort of thing is that what you mean uh no i i mean more just you know because men can treat her like a skank she can treat herself like a skank and it's not right It's kosher with the, the universe that we're watching, or it's like yeah. she knows she's and, and, she, and her character is that exactly that that she's like this gross skankoid yeah. essentially. And so, so it's really it's really problematic, right? Because right. I mean, this is the area, you know, like I'm in junior high, high school, and there's girls emulating this style of dress and this attitude towards uh, their bodies. Um, this is kind of a zeitgeist of oh yeah, female sexuality in 2002. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're going to, and you know what? We're going to talk about that every time. And I think that uh, it's important because we're going to talk about 
um, kind of the, what what that means in wrestling and society a little bit there too. It's because it's like generally uncomfortable moments really come across with women in these shows, and we've already seen some. Uh, whether it was a couple weeks ago when just Nidia and Nidia and Troy Wilson are just fighting backstage, and Tor Wilson just doing it in underwear for literally no reason. Anyway, but let's get yeah. to, to the important wrestling here, which is Tori Wilson accompanied by Billy Kidman going up against Nidia with Jamie Noble. And so um, <laughs> there's something completely hilarious to me about how gross Jamie Noble making out with Nidia is. Like, there's just, like, the fact that, like, that is a thing. I just find that idea of, like, gross kissing as though they're in high school, like, hiding behind, like, the, but going by the band room to make out, like, being one of those kids is yeah. so funny to me as a concept. I love it. There's also something beautiful about uh, Nidia. She's always chewing gum. So she, when she gets in the ring, she takes her gum out and sticks it on top of the ring post. Yes. Yeah. So can I can I talk about Nidia for a second? Please. Yeah, yeah. I, I did not know she existed. Okay, beautiful. Okay, yeah, yeah. And so I'm watching this, and I'm disgusted by the way that she is forcing herself on Funaki. And I'm like, right. this is over the top. This is kind yeah. of fucked in. But then I'm super impressed by how disgusted I am by her. And I'm right. like, she, she's really, like, she's really playing this the right She's way. doing her job. And then when she does the gum thing on the ring post, I'm like, this woman has some, you know how you talked about earlier about Kurt Angle, knowing how to do the little things well? Yeah. And the big things well? Nidia knows how to do the little things well. It's a great She doesn't know how to do the big things well. Yeah. <laughs> but she can no, do, no, I know. Yeah, yeah. But the she big can things. do the little things really well. Because end of the match, when this all breaks down, She's running away with Jamie Noble and then runs back for her gum. <laughs> I missed that. I love that song. It like, that's was so awesome. It was so good. I was I mean, just she like, cares. A whole a whole new level of respect for that character. That that kind of like that's the stuff. If you're gonna be that level of heel, I would argue kind of um Cameron Grimes is kind of in that neck of the woods now in oh, NXT. Yeah, to the moon. To the moon. Like Cameron Grimes is kind of doing a similar thing of like, I think he cares about his character the same way. I think that he does the same sort of thing, and people like it. That's why I like Cameron Grimes and so not caring about him. Yeah. Um so yeah, so so Taz once again this is another story live before right now. Taz is trying to be the Jerry Lawler of SmackDown by being like, hey, women, eh? And it's like I don't know if it's natural or what. It's totally weird. Uh, he says, cat fight, this is going to be a tomato fight. And so this is Taz. He's trying to get tomato, or tomato, as he says, kind of over as a term for an attractive woman, which is this weird retro, like, that's what, like, a guy in Brooklyn in the 1930s would say about, like, a real dame. She's a real tomato. Your sister, wow. <laughs> so, so, the, so tomato is not referring exclusively to the breasts? I don't think okay, that's a very interesting thing. I don't think so because if you take the cat fight thing and you launch it, okay, so they're when two women fight their cat fights. I would say they're two tomatoes, kind of like I don't like. I mean, there's probably something to it, but tomatoes are ripe, and I don't know, big. I don't know where because I'm wondering if he's just going for a puppy's his own. I I think I don't think it's that one for one. I don't think it's that one to one rather that comparison there. But I think he's trying to be like he said tomato in weeks before, (laughs) like tomato, and it's like. Okay, that's real. It's just an odd throwback from Taz, who once again was in the intro for this show, <laughs> as though he he matters here at all. So, uh, so Billy Kidman, I noticed he's on the outside of the ring. There's a reason I didn't focus too much on the in-ring action here. So Kidman is ringside supporting Troy Wilson, and he's wearing a SummerSlam shirt, and it says Brock versus Brock in these big letters. And I've always thought, whenever you see like a guy on a show and he's wearing like the next pay-per-view shirt or something like that, like it just makes the guy look like a loser, right? Like. Like, like, Billy Kidman can't wear, like, a cool shirt that's not his... Like, he doesn't have to wear a wrestling shirt. Let him wear, like, I don't know, like, whatever was the equivalent of friggin' Under Armour back then. 
But instead, he looks like just like, you know, to borrow a phrase, he looks like a geek just being like, okay, I'm just like, what do we have in the, what's free backstage that comes in a men's large? I assume it's large. I know it's pretty but it could be better in a medium too. So uh, Jamie Noble gets slapped and then he prevents Tori Wilson from climbing the turnbuckle. And so the referee is distracted. And so Noble hits Tori Wilson in the clothesline and then Nidia wins. This was also shocking to me. Yes. I spent a little bit of time uh, a couple months ago watching some like, pay-per-views from like 2000 like 99 2000 this yeah. kind of thing and the amount of violence on women that gets passed uh and up until this era now uh is shocking to me i'm like this right. is this is sort of cringeworthy to me see but, for for me for me it's like okay it's it's believable i mean these like it's insane first off to even get this women match period and i think we're going to see more nidia Wilson matches in the future but it's just funny to me that they're like they're even bothering to do it and then it's like i guess it's con- like believable that jamie noble like like if <laughs> i can't believe what i'm saying if a man <laughs> hit a woman believable <laughs> he's beating her and it's like i guess but it's like it is okay in fairness it is played off as a dastardly thing yes yes and then something I fully would did not expect and caught me completely off guard. Uh, Kane, Kane's pyro goes off. Right. And then it's promotion for Kane coming back. Um, but I, I looked into it. He does not come back to SmackDown. This is just something he's just like his pyro just came. He goes oh, to Raw. He does not come to SmackDown afterwards. <laughs> so I don't oh, know why they did hilarious. this. That's yeah. hilarious. It's just like generic stuff, which I think they would get away from. It's just like the idea that like, like, okay. It's also funny just to be, to, to openly be like, oh, don't watch SmackDown, watch Raw. Don't watch Raw, watch SmackDown. And then be like, oh, we're going to promote stuff on both. It's like, okay. It kind of makes it pretty obvious that you guys don't really care. Right, about right, that. right. So at this point in the night, I'm thinking, oh, like, every match has something else that's more important than the match at the end. <laughs> uh, because it's, right, it's, so, it's like, okay, not the six-man tag. We're talking about Matt Hardy. Yeah. Okay, not Angle and Mark Henry. We're talking about Rey Mysterio and Angle. Yeah. Okay. Not Jamie Noble or Billy Kidman or the ladies, but we're talking about Kane, and Kane. he doesn't even come out. And I'm like, yeah, no. the announcement for Kane is more important than the match that just happened. Yeah, they could have waited for a commercial break and then come back to have it happen. It's like, no, it has to happen right there. Completely random. So after we get the Kane tease, uh, Eddie Guerrero and Chavo are backstage. Eddie's on his flip phone, and it sounds like he's telling somebody on the phone, like, just make sure the whole family's watching. Uh, and they want to make them proud. This kind of goes on for a little bit. I love that he's on a flip phone. So again, excellent for me. My first exposure to this team. So are these like are they Los Guerreros? Is this when I hear well, okay. that? Is this them? So they are. They're that is their team. But like prior to this, they did not. They had not teamed up uh, on on SmackDown. Like well, for last, this is their first. This is the inception. I would say so. Like I mean, somebody could somebody could prove me wrong here, but like. Eddie comes to SmackDown with Chris Benoit. He and Chris Benoit kind of act as a tag team for the first couple of weeks, kind of like a throwback to the Radicals when they first came in. Um, but he's not with Chavo. Like he comes, to, he comes to Raw SmackDown from Raw, and he hadn't been on SmackDown for months before that. And before that, he was fired. So I don't. And before that, Chavo wasn't in WWE. So I think this is the first time. And I remember watching last week and thinking, like, okay, so like, are they, like, are they going? To, like, do they know they're going to bring Chavo in and do this, or is this something that just kind of like happened? Right. So, but then we have, and then I was like kind of totally surprised to see this. We have Edge and Rey Mysterio against Los Guerreros, which is two thirds, a full two thirds of the SmackDown six, four guys. And here we are like, like early on, and this is a match we're going to see again later, but like, here we go. Boom. This is like yeah, one well, of the it, reasons we have, have this show period is this kind of match. 
And this acts as the center. So, so leading up until this moment, I'm thinking, okay, my buddy Matt, who I love, is still kind of forcing this SmackDown <laughs> Six thing, you know? Yeah. And then sure. this happens, and I'm like, oh, this is like the centerpiece of this show. Like, this yeah. is like they they're really building the show around. Um, yeah, th- this is kind of the palate cleanser, but like in a way that's like this is going to get people really rocking and rolling. Um, this is important. And the whole uh, Eddie Chavo segment is incredibly endearing and entertaining. Like, right. I am I am all over Eddie when he's going through his stuff ah. and the Chavo going back and forth. Eddie getting mad at Chavo for not, like, <laughs> supporting him more. Like, it's just right. good stuff. Yeah. It's, so very it excited. Is... And, and you are now fully vindicated in my mind and heart. Thank you so much. Down six or a thing. I knew I would. Well, it's also funny, too, because like SmackDown 6, like this, obviously, they kind of take some turns in the main event scene, too. But largely, like they are kind of in the tag division. They're going to be in the the U.S. title division when that shows up a little bit later on. And so, you know, it's all about this era. So which is obviously them. They are literally the the name of the era. But there's also, you know, the guys like Brock Lesnar, such an integral part of that, too, which is also going to touch on. But it's interesting, like this, this whole defining feature is not always the main focus. Like these six guys are not always like literally the main event. Um, so we, we have Michael Cole. He's still talking about edge being the future of SmackDown really hitting that hard has been for a few weeks. Just know the edge is the future of SmackDown, which is kind of funny because he ends up being completely right. I would argue in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and good reason too, because like when, when, when edge is standing in this match, he's like a full foot ahead of everybody else. Well, easy when you're tagging with, with Rey Mysterio, but I I don't know what you mean. But he's just (laughs) looking good. Like he's looking like a God in the ring. And yeah. so when Michael Cole is saying those things, it's really easy to believe him. It is credible. You're, yeah, you're 100% right. It's totally credible. And I love it. This is something I'm always going to try to touch on this in the show. This is where they go over the sponsors of the show. And so this week, it's sponsored. we're sponsored by Tobacco is Wacko. <laughs> yeah, oh, amazing. Reebok Shoes, specifically the Above the Rim collection. Reebok styled RBK. And the and not the okay here we go I'm gonna be very specific here this it, we're not sponsored by the movie Stealing Harvard which comes out at this point 2002 or early I don't know probably September or something like that we are specifically sponsored by the Stealing Harvard Cash for College contest where you can win exactly twenty nine thousand eight hundred and seventy nine dollars which I assume is tuition for year at Harvard <laughs> so yeah it's just specifically like they're not sponsored by the movie they're sponsored by a contest for a movie where you win less than $30,000, but it is exactly less than $30,000. So that's, that's great. I'd love to. I would, yeah, I, love to I, I was squinting my eyes at that while trying to figure out what was happening. Like, what? Like they, they don't make a big, like, it's just a, just an ad, right, real quick. So, that, like, it's not like they're like, ah, it's brought to you by this PlayStation 2 game. It's like, no, no, brought to you by a contest for a specific amount of money, which is totally weird. Uh, so Eddie and Chavo come out and they look great. They match. They're both wearing red, which is good. I always love uh, when they ma- match and look good. Yeah. And so. Right as the match starts, Michael Cole has this weird line. Can I can I butt in here one thing? Please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Edge's entrance. Yes. I don't know if it's the way <laughs> that the just ring entrance ramp thing is set up. Yes, I will never get tired of talking about it. It's kind of in that dome. But yes. like I have never felt closer to a seizure than I did last night watching this episode, watching Edge come out here. Like just the flashing was much and i was just like what is going on here because i've seen this entrance a billion times but just yeah. something with the setup of the ring the dome kind of situation that the screen is kind of wrapped around. i don't know but it was just full-on edge of just like really bright 
seizure-inducing flashes. Maybe, maybe it was so closer to the camera. I just wanted to let people know to you know, as a cautionary tale, if you're gonna go back and watch this episode, beware the edge entrance. All right. Right. You might you might wake up uh, four hours later in the hospital wearing That's a mask good. you expect to have on. So <laughs> thank you for that. I, and you know what? Like there's, there's certain things on the show. Like I do want to talk about Edge's entrance all the time because he comes out, he runs to either side. I think he looks pretty doofy and he has a real decision. It's like, I come out this side. I say, Hey, how's it going? I go to the side. I say, Hey, how's it going? I come out of the ring. I kind of like, I put one leg on one rope, one leg on another rope and kind of bounce. Um, like he's just got a real decision, a real choice there. So I always want to highlight Edge's entrance any chance I can, even if it's going to be uh, hurting my guests. And so, yeah, so as this match starts, Michael Cole has this line that I have to, I ha- would bet money is added after the fact because he says it, it sounds totally different from the rest of the stuff he says. It sounds like it's coming from a different place. And he talks about how wrestling is in the Guerrero's blood. I don't know why they would go back and add that in, but maybe he said it in a worse way and they were like, go back and say it again. And we'll just add it in. Don't know. Well, well, maybe they wanted to connect the vignette of trying to get everyone around to all their family to watch. Maybe they could have done that better. Yeah, exactly. Maybe trying to kind of tie that together a little bit better. Um, There's a moment in the actual match, though, where it looks like the match itself is at like there's a Hmm. there's a moment where Eddie's doing something. Yeah, yeah. And then the camera angle changes really swiftly, and they're doing it again. Um, Oh, interesting. They, I, I think they do that on SmackDown sometimes, right? Like this is like. Raw is live. SmackDown is very taped. It was a very like we talked before about how I would watch, I would read the results of the show before watching SmackDown each week, and that was a thing where people would go back. There's a there's a moment, I think we cover it, but there's a whole moment later on in 2002. Oh no no, I think it was Vengeance. There's a SmackDown before the Vengeance, like right before we, the uh, the era we're talking about, where they had to reshoot a whole finish to um, Ray, Kurt Angle and Undertaker where it's a, a pin slash tap out situation. And if you watch and if you know what to expect, um, you like you can see, okay, there's obviously like normal normal parts of the match. And then there's a cut to a camera and you see them, like you said, the ending of the match essentially. But in the background, the group of guys who was there is not the same as that people who were in that corner before. And what they literally did was they put like 40 guys in one side of the ring where you would see it so that they could like cover that up. So, they do this, and I think we should, maybe I should watch this more, but they absolutely do edit in changes. And, and if okay. they get things sloppy, you will see it again. Um, so, yeah, so Eddie Guerrero, I think he, like, kind of obviously works as this great, devious, comedic heel. He, we're going to see lots of great heel Eddie here, but he also works really great when he's angry and intense. Like, it's very believable, and you can see it here. He hits these elbows and, and, and on forearms and edge in really quick succession, and I'm like... That guy looks mad, and it's totally believable as a small guy who I would not want to see do that because I believe he would beat me up in an alley. He looks angry. Right. Um, so there's Rick's, something really interesting yeah. on my mind going into this match. I just finished watching um, the Broken Skull session with Kurt Angle. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Stone Cold does these great podcasts on the WWE Network, and uh, the latest one is with Kurt Angle. And Kurt Angle was talking about Eddie at one point, mm-hmm. and he's just like – very honest about the Eddie that we're seeing in WWE is not the Eddie that we saw in WCW. Uh, Eddie had a car accident uh, near the end yes, of his time in WCW and then uh, wrecked his hip, wrecked his back, this kind of thing. And so Eddie Guerrero can no longer do the things that he could do. Now, this was something that I was not aware of. I just always thought Eddie was great. Well, I, I, so, I, don't, even, I, don't, 
I don't even know what he's really meaning by that because I don't like Eddie doesn't seem to miss a step. Like it's like Eddie. The, the other thing too is Eddie is doing deliberately trying to be kind of more of a heavyweight, right? And we see that yeah. when he becomes champion, world champion. Um, to, after the uh, the run of this show, he'll be world champion. But like they're kind of trying to set him up not to be like this high flyer. Um, he still does a lot of athletic. I mean, you're going to see tons of athletic things, even in this match. Um, so it's interesting to hear Ed Kurt say that because I mean, I know he'll be different. He wrestled differently. Maybe just yeah, so, maybe so Kurt Angle stuff backstage where he's hurt more or something. I don't know. Yeah, well, Kurt Angle was sharing that there were moments where Eddie would be frustrated after a match because he mm. couldn't do something that he was hoping to do in the match, or he would attempt to do something and realize that it was above his uh, pay grade, so to speak, and right. he uh, couldn't quite go there. So then uh, Kurt and him would kind of go at it a little bit after the match because Eddie was frustrated and whatever the case may be. Interesting. So anyway, that was interesting and that was on my mind because I, I always saw Eddie in this era as kind of more of a uh, more of a character, more of a heavyweight. He's a like goof, right? He's kind of like, that's kind of more of his vibe. But you're seeing some of that real life frustration born out in the ring, which is interesting. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. To, it's funny to think about that. And like, it's funny when you said that because I know Chris Benoit used to be like that too where he would be really mad at himself after a match. Like supposedly if he made a mistake in a match, he would do like, I don't know what they're technically, they're called Hindu squats. And he would just like do them until he got hurt essentially. Okay. He's just really hard on himself. And so the idea that like those two guys are friends, I mean, you can totally see like people, friends do this to each other, right? Where they push each other to compete and they also get mad at each other and they're, or they're, they're kind of, they, 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 you know, you can influence your friends in bad ways, right? Like if, if you're both, you're like, oh, he's beating himself up after this. I should beat myself up over this too. And it's like, no, that's unhealthy for both of you guys. And like not helping <laughs> you people you're with, right? Like, oh my gosh. So um, Rey Mysterio hits a standing moonsault. And I feel like he never did that that much. And uh, to me, when I saw it, I was like, hmm, I feel like that's more of an RVD move because I feel like Rob Van Dam does that. And I wonder if somebody was like, hey, man, like that move is pretty specifically RVD's move, which I'm pretty sure they do. People will do that in WWE. They do like that sometimes. So it's funny to see him do that. I'm like, huh, I feel like I've never seen him do that. I mean, obviously, I've seen this match before. I'm sure I watched it live or whenever it was taped, but surprised by that. So. Eddie hits Ray with his awesome power bomb. I'll always shout out cruiserweight power bombs. Uh, that's such so good. It was such a WCW thing. And so to see one here is great. It looks so good. Uh, Chavo sets up Eddie to hit this great helo into the ring, which is that that flip he would do, which I think looks so good. You know, it's the kind of like that little like Swanton slingshot sort of thing. Right. There, there's some sweet stuff happening here. Where oh, yeah. there's one point in this match where it looks like everybody is just flying, and the yeah. commentators say something about like. Like they say, they say something like everyone's jumping beans here or something. But like, yeah, that sounds like it has to me. It's right. It, it's really, it really looks like uh, uh, a hot air air popcorn popper, right? Like this is yes. this is the feeling I'm getting. Everyone's just, and so the energy that it has is off the charts. And so I was just, you get caught up in it. Oh yeah, for sure. Really good like, one great moment is uh, Chavo has this double knuckle lock on Ray, which is reversing his Hurricane Rana, but then he, he gets flipped out of it and tossed off, which I thought looked great as well. Um, Edge gets the hot tag, and he runs wild. He hits his <laughs> his his weird half-Nelson faceplant thing, which he would always do, and I, I'm just going to keep pointing that out because it's just a totally weird-looking move and just something I've never seen anyone do outside of Edge, and it's just like, why? I don't know why you're doing that. Was that called, like, the, the educator or something? Or no, that's his that's his uh, sharpshooter where he's facing the wrong way. And yes, oh, okay. there is a wrong way to be. Like, yeah, no, it doesn't it doesn't get the uh, the little edge moniker at the beginning, which which one of his 15 finishers he, he has. <laughs> right. 
just constantly just being like, what if this is a finisher? And you're like, spear, yeah, sure. It's like, what if I also do uh, uh, kind of an inverted DDT? It's like, uh, also good. It's like, okay, what if I do one where it's kind of like an X factor, but it's backwards? Like, also good. It's like, okay, but what if I have a reverse sharpshooter? It's like, yeah, but it's also fine, okay? It's like, what if I call it the education? We're like, okay, yeah, you're kind of pushing what that means. Why am I thinking about the word like to learn? That's totally weird. Anyway, so. I'm just gonna make fun of Ed for doing it for a while because it's totally stupid. So, so Eddie hits a brain he's buster. He's his feet, Matt. He's he is. His feet. He's he's gonna do it by having 15 finishers. Um, so Eddie hits a brain buster. He sets up for a frog splash, but then Ray knocks Eddie out, and then hits Chavo Guerrero with a six one nine, and then boom, Kurt Angle comes out, and hits an ankle lock on Ray for disqualification. Amazing. I kind of well, I was kind of bummed out by it because I wanted to see a, I want to see this match actually finish, and I was like, okay. No, but I, I, I was still hot on this Ray Mysterio Kurt Angle feud that I was like, yes, get the bleeder back. And then so and then Edge hits Guerrero with a spear on the outside, and then so Angle hits an ankle lock on Ray in the ring, and then Chavo helps Ed Ang- Kurt Angle. Might start. He kicks Rey Mysterio in the head, which is great because just like he's just helping out because he just doesn't like Rey Mysterio. That's all his, his motivation is there. <clears throat> and so Edge hits, uh, gets rid of Chavo, and then Angle with spears. He hits kind of both of them, which is setting this all up for SummerSlam, where Edge is going to face Eddie Guerrero. But Edge looks very strong here. He hits everybody with spears. He looks great. He saves Rey. His tag team partner is very good. And then so we go yeah, backstage. I, 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 yeah. I have in my notes Edge taking out everybody. Everybody, it's pretty pretty clear what they're trying to do there. Uh, they don't pull the trigger on him as a main eventer during this little run here, which is interesting because I feel like they're—I don't know if they're trying to work up to you know a year from now they see Edge on SmackDown in 2003 as a face option. Probably could have been, uh, but he got he got hurt and switched over right. too too soon. So then we go to our fr- little friend Mark Lloyd. He's backstage. He's outside the Rock's locker room, and he throws to a video package from Australia. And so they're, they're, they're talking about their Australia thing. They they put 56,734 people in a stadium in Melbourne, which is kind of insane if that's a real figure. It's like completely crazy. And the show fans dress as Hogan. They're like, we love Howard Hogan. You know, they do their weird Australian accent. Um, and then Rock's kind of messing around. We see Edge climbing some scaffolding. There's a kangaroo. Just really trying to establish. They went to, they went to Australia. Right. And then so we come back and Mark Lloyd has Rock and he, and Rock's holding his belt over his shoulder like he's kind of dragging it around like you can't see the main plate of it like just like as though we're like okay Rock I need you to hold this but it needs to be clear that you don't care much about the physical object of the belt and so they they go back and they show I don't know if you if this was something that was unexpected to you uh, Daniel but uh, yeah they show the Rock tapping out against Kurt Angle or it's not a Kurt Angle oh my gosh Chris Benoit two weeks ago which right, really right, happened right. it caught me off guard when I watched it and so <laughs> Rock what's that. I was intrigued. I yeah, was like, it is intriguing. It's intriguing. It, I mean, it's a it's an interesting tap, right? Because it's a very um, he doesn't give him a lot. He just kind of does this like tap, tap, tap. He doesn't like give her. It's not like a tap, yeah. tap, tap, tap. Get me out of here. It's just yeah. Like, well, I liked it. I mean, at the time, I liked it too because it, like Brock Lesnar is there. He's intimidating Rock, but I also like it just as the thing for Rock. Like on some level, if you're the champion, you should be smart. And it's like okay. Do I want to lose this guy? No. But I'm seeing the guy I'm going to face in a few weeks, and I'd rather not have my arm ripped off while I'm doing it. So I'm going to tap out now, which is like, that's logical. I mean, on some level, you want every guy to be like, no, I will wear your spirit. And I'm oh, always well, oh was, was Brock like there during the tag match, too? Brock came out, and he was like standing there and was like intimidating Rock. But he didn't, like, that's, he just stood there. Oh, okay. So that comes full circle again. Okay, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're seeing the connections here. So, uh, yeah, so we, we see. Rock tapping out, and then Rock hits his whoa, 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 and he takes the mic, and he said, "He says you, you look like you know what a squeal means." And this gets what I call the, the SmackDown pop, which we're we're checking the show, which is 
that cheer that is clearly fake, uh, which they would do this all the time on SmackDown, where to make people seem like they're a bigger deal. Like it's it's uh, and it's really high pitched and just it's the most obviously fake thing in the world. So he makes Mark Lloyd bend over like an idiot, and then the Rock acts like this is stupid. Um, and then I thought when I'm watching this, I'm like, you probably wouldn't have Rock make a gay joke and then follow with you sick freak in, afterward in 2020. Just something I was thinking about. That's what he does. <laughs> Essentially, he's like, Mark Lloyd does something gay. Isn't that horrible? And you're like, you would, you could not say that at all in 2020. That's a horrible thing to do. All right. So a few things that struck me about this interview segment was yes. first off, the Rock looks skinnier. Yeah. I mean, one of the weirdest things, one of the weirdest things about the Rock. That he got huge afterwards, and yeah, he's not even small here, or he's not even—he wasn't even small before that. No, he's yeah. So like, this, small, this, this is small. like this is the skinny. August I've seen the he's not that small. I've yeah. seen him bigger before and after this, and so I right. was like, "Oh, what's happening with the Rock? He just looks kind of like his, his proportions look strange." It's like, yeah, uh, I, I think he just got out of his routine with like doing movies, right? And then, um, and then he also just doesn't seem as on in terms of his mic skills like he seems like he's kind of he he get he hits his stride near the end of this thing when he um after, the right after he makes the gay joke <laughs> and he's starting to say just bring it in different languages that's really yeah. cool um but up until then i'm like i'm like oh this is kind of like a weird experience of the rock for me where he like doesn't feel like the people's champ he just kind of feels like a guy who's trying to be the people's champ Sure. Even though yeah, he yeah. was before and he will be after, it's just this weird kind of blip on his promo record. Yeah, he's, yeah, he he's he's not hitting it out of the park at this one right away. Definitely not. So he he tells Mark Lloyd to leave, and he does, and so he directs his attention to the main camera, and he and he lays out his next week, which is Ben Watson night, Triple H on Monday, and then Brock the Sunday after, which is kind of an insane run when you think about it. He's literally saying, "I'm going to face three main eventers in like eight days or or, or ten days." Yeah. I don't remember how the Triple H rock thing works. I assume it doesn't turn into anything. So um, then apparently uh, apparently Brock sat front row at Raw this past week and he, he just wanted to send him a message. Brock's all about sending messages, apparently. So then Rock says, I'm going to use languages to send my own message. He says, just bring it. But he does it in German with air quotes and then Chinese, which I would argue is very racist the way he did it. So he does something homophobic and racist in the same promo. It's 2002, folks. We're firmly there. And then he so says, is in Rock English. on both shows at this point? Is he on Raw and SmackDown every week? So Rock is on both, but you have to do the whole like buy a ticket, sit in the crowd kind of thing generally if you're doing it. I think this is something that happened when there was a brand split and one champion where if you were feuding with Undertaker and you were on SmackDown, whenever you'd be on Raw, even if Undertaker wasn't on that show, he would like run in and people like, what's Undertaker doing here? And it's like, well, if the main of if the world champion is on both shows, but he's feuding with one guy from one show, you have to constantly do that where. He's right. interrupting going to the places, right? And so Brock finishes with an if you smell. And then we find out Brock was in the hallway behind the rock the whole time. Love that. <laughs> there. Hanging out. People are watching. And so we get to, I think this is the highlight for me of the show. I mean, it's funny to say that after there's a Los Guerrero's Edge and Ray match and a Kurt Angle, um, Mark Henry match I really liked. That might, that might be my highlight. But um, we start with Rock and Benoit. For some reason, Rock comes out first, even though he's champion. It's not. I know it's not for the title, but it's kind of funny. Um. I think Michael Cole says in 10 days, the rock defends. And I love in 10 days. Cause it sounds more epic than saying a week and a half. Right. It's like, yeah, you count the days. It's great. It's a Thursday. You're going to a Sunday. That's 10 days from now. It's so good. So there's this huge bed sheet size fabric banner advertising rock versus triple H on Monday. And this is a whole thing where they act like this is like an impressive coup. Um, 
but it was kind of like a, it's, they they used a huge sign and they just walked across screen one time with it. And yeah. Taz calls it product placement, which is not what product placement is. Uh, <laughs> I would say guerrilla advertiser, maybe more what he's getting out. Um, but then they try to flip it. And they kind of go like, "Oh, SmackDown's a good place to advertise." Right? It's stupid. It's stupid. It is stupid. But they do it. They're they're still trying to be like, "Look, there's a SmackDown versus Raw thing happening here." Clearly. This is WWE Champion versus the Intercontinental Champion, which has definitely happened before, but I would say it's probably a pretty rare combo, at least. Like, this match doesn't happen all the time, but it has happened. So Rock starts off, he hits these big arm tricks on Benoit, which the fans are pretty excited about. And then Cole calls uh, Brock the Rookie Monster, kind of like Cookie Monster. But I feel like that was used on Rhino or something. Like, I feel like that's not a Brock Lesnar-specific expression. Did anybody else okay. use that? Do you remember that? No, I I, I, I swear Rhino in ECW or something did use that. And it's funny to be like, to just co-op that word. I wasn't for... watching around this time. So yeah, yeah. Have, I just didn't. I might be wrong, but I just don't think that Brock Lesnar was the originator of that nickname. So, and it doesn't uh, stick, right? Like, it's not something no. that. Uh... Well, the next big thing was already kind of a thing, which was like, which is funny because it's, it's so like, like, just like plain, just being like, here's what we, here, here he is. He's going to be future world champion. You might as well call him future world champion, but it works. Next big Well, thing. it's funny because I, I was watching and I was like, oh, next big thing. Okay. You know, and, and, and to, to experience sort of heal Lesnar and to yeah. really hear the boos in the crowd and to get a real kind of, uh, a different perspective on Heyman, like his promo at the beginning of the night and his selling of the stink face were things that went off the chart for me. I was like, this is amazing Heyman stuff right here. Heck yeah. But when I saw Edge, I was like, no, he's the next big thing. Right. Oh, interesting. maybe that's just because I'm biased, of course. Yeah. But um, I thought that the moniker fit a couple people on this roster. Right. Well, I mean, if you watch what Rock Lesnar does for the next, you know, year and a bit, I mean, he, he, he's definitely a big thing. He's like the most he immediate. Is thing he's like the yeah. he's, he's like the big thing currently almost like he's, he's really that close especially yeah. because SmackDown, SummerSlam is in well, well I mean he's a he's about to win the title yeah spoilers for SummerSlam but it's gonna happen guys um so Rock hits this really um uh he's this nice snappy kind of belly to belly against Benoit which I have to imagine is mostly Benoit's doing the way he, he makes it sort of snug and tight which is great and then Benoit uh, he fights so back this, with this again this is that over the head belly belly right yes exactly like, yes. okay so so here's what I'm thinking right so I'm going through hmm. and I'm like amazed by Brock's belly to belly over Rikishi. Yeah. And then I see this happen. And so here's my theory on this stuff. Yeah, please. And I don't know if this is in Brock's rotation, but what, 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 I, what I get is sometimes I'm watching a pay-per-view and I see a weird move that happens yeah. in multiple matches over the course of the night. Right, right. So th- there, was, there was a pay-per-view a few years ago, probably five years ago or so, where um, like backdrops on the ring apron were happening like, in like, like three out of the, the six matches or whatever. So it's like both people are on the apron and one person charges and they get backdropped? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's so specific. And so so things like this, right? And so what I'm wondering is, so Rock's backstage and he's watching Brock v. Rikishi and he sees the belly to belly and he's like, whoa, cool. And then subconsciously it kind of works into how he's envisioning his own match and it just happens right yeah maybe it isn't <laughs> i love the idea of it's like truly subconscious you're just kind of like i'll do a school snappy belly to belly um idea for a move i had completely independently of anything else tonight <laughs> that's right and so i really i really see that happen quite a bit and i and when i saw it during this episode i was like is that what's happening i gotta uh, keep it again it was a really cool belly to belly but we saw it a couple matches earlier 
Yeah, I mean, th- there's moves that exist and become more popular, and people just will use them more. Like, obviously, I mean, now with, like, super kicks and NXT and stuff like that, like, oh, yeah, people just do that exactly. all the time. But it's, what you're hitting on is something a little bit different, specifically, where it's, like, there seems to be moves that stick out that almost are, like, if you go into the key arena in Seattle in August 2002, for some reason, you just, a voice whispers in your head, like, you should do it over the overheads, belly belly suplex. Well, here, here, here's the example, right? And listeners yeah. might have picked up on it already in our conversation tonight, is yes. that you might have used a word earlier in this I, can, I can think of a word I already used. I said cohort more than once. It sounds insane. Yeah, and but then I might have said it following that because I heard you say it. I hear it all the time in conversations. Somebody uses a word that's a little bit unique, and then it'll show up a couple sentences later from somebody else. And it's totally subconscious. It's so got to be a word for that. There must be a word that for that. I'm applying that. wrestling moves over yeah. the course of a show or a pay-per-view is I think guys just see other guys doing something. They don't register it but it's kind of backed up in their brain to kind of pull out quickly. And so right. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, weird, it's weird totally to talk about. Sorry for sidetracking. No, I love that. Cause it is, it is it. like in wrestling, you're seeing a very real physical manifestation of something that absolutely happens where the human brain will receive information and then act like it, it is like, Oh cool. I originated that or I thought of it. And it's like, it's only just like it's just the nature of memory, really. It's anyway. We're getting to the details here. I love it. We're, this is this is deep stuff on the SmackDown Six podcast, guys. You're not gonna get this anywhere else. I say cohort a bunch of times. Just listen for it. I'm sure there's probably something even more obnoxious. I say wrestling a lot, but this is what we're watching, so it makes sense. <laughs> right, not, not so. So uh, Benoit fights back with some rolling Germans. He gets five ro- uh, rolling German suplexes, then bridges for Amazing. two. And I have to point this out. Last week, Taz said that was like a guaranteed win. He, he hit like two, he hit two or three Germans. And then bridge, and he was like, oh, it's guaranteed win. And I was like, okay, well, he doesn't hear it. He did not get the win. So Taz is wrong last week. Uh, just fact check on Taz from August you know, 8th, 2002. <laughs> so Rock fights out of the standing arm bar that he's in. He hits his big DDT. Um, uh, when it, you know, he, he hits it, and then he has to kind of crawl over to get two. Um, and Taz cites the German suplexes, why Rock was especially weakened, which I kind of liked, the fact that they're mm-hmm. like, it's not like, oh, he's just generically kind of hurt. It's wrestling. It makes sense. It's like, no, no, he's he's pointing to, like, I bet he was because of that series of moves, which I kind of called out earlier. It's like, oh, that's cool. I like that. Um, so this is where I got to bring up that yes. at this point. So I watched most of the episode last night, and then I caught up just tonight to finish off the episode. Yeah. So at this point, I am watching in my bed with my almost two-year-old <laughs> son and my three-and-a-half-year-old yeah. son. Yes. And so we're watching it together. So... We're all watching this match, and my boys are going nuts. They are intermittently standing up and, like, flipping around and dropping elbows. They're, like, mimicking the best they can what's going on on the stream. It yeah, yeah. This is pumping them up. And so afterwards, after the match, we immediately run into the other bedroom where the bed's a bit lower to the ground. And because my son Owen is saying, let's wrestle, like... And Ethan is challenging. My younger son is challenging my older son, saying, Ethan, battle Owen. <laughs> battle. So they go, and um, clearly Owen has been inspired by none other than Chris Benoit, because Boy. Owen wants to be ready red pants. Uh, what Benoit's Chris wearing. Benoit's wearing red pants. <laughs> and uh, so this is something that I find as a father mildly concerning not sure yes how i would say break so. it to my big old red flag that his favorite wrestler is a murderer a domestic murderer yes. but 
<laughs> we'll just cross that bridge when we come to it. Yeah. But yeah, I just thought I'd throw that in there. It's, it's like wrestling. Wrestling's puberty talk, right? It's the it's the whole thing of like you like wrestling, and then at some point your dad sits you down and goes, "So Chris Benoit, I gotta tell you about <laughs> one night in summer 2007 that really changed the wrestling world for the worst." So uh, this is where I noted that Chris Benoit is like so ripped, like he's just like his muscles are just like everything is yeah. perfect, rippling. And so uh, he goes for the headbutt and he gets it, um, which supposedly is the first time that he tried it or he successfully got it after coming back from his neck injury. And my first thought was, okay, well, maybe you should have stopped using it. Why is he? <laughs> Don't glorify this. This is a mistake. This man is, especially in retrospect. Oh, boy. So Rock and Benoit, they get to their feet at, a, at the nine count. The ref's counting and they get to nine. And so Rock hits some punches and then he locks in a sharpshooter. And I would argue, you know, the Rock has famously had terrible the sharpshooter. He just turns guys over and stands up as tall as he can. It doesn't look painful at all. Uh, but this is not as terrible as he usually does it. And I feel like maybe, honestly, I think The Rock appreciates true wrestling. Like, I think he's like almost like a bit more of a fan that way. And so I feel like he's putting on the pressure on himself because he sees the legitimacy of Chris Benoit. I truly believe that Rock was like that. Rock was not a great technical wrestler, but when he was in the ring with guys like that, it mattered to him to do things right. So he gets the sharpshooter on. uh, Benoit gets to the ropes. So Rock does his kip up later on a little bit for uh, this big reaction. He sets up the people's elbow, but then Brock Lesnar walks down the ramp. This was so, excellent. So then Rock Rock interrupts his run to hop outside and stare down Brock, which I liked. It was kind of this fluid motion. Oh, yeah, because, yeah, he, he's doing the people's elbow. Yeah. Bounces off one set of ropes, goes to bounce off the other, but instead he just leaps through them. Yeah. And then, and then it's great because it's not like he doesn't leap through and then beat up Brock. He, like, leaps through and then just looks, stares at him for a while. Yes. Which I loved. And then so Taz says, this is it. This is the main event of SummerSlam. And I'm like, yeah, that's you're not telling me anything new, but that's absolutely true. Like, that's thank you, Taz. <laughs> really bringing in the information here for us. Um, and so Benoit interrupts the stare down to bring Rock back in. And he uh, he locks in this cross face and Brock is watching just like two weeks ago. But then this time, Rock drags himself close to the ropes and he finally gets there. And Brock's not happy about that, like pretty clearly upset about that happening. And so Rock reverses into a quick rock bottom, and he just puts away Benoit just like that in front of Lesnar. And he finally hits Brock with his just bring it move, and he, he says, come on, you son of a bitch, with his mouth. He just, you don't hear it, but he clearly says it. Could I be more obvious than that? And then Brock, he's smiling on the outside. He gestures to his midsection in the classic, hey, I want that belt move. And then we're out. Yeah, so amazing. And, and this is where my son Owen learned two critical wrestling lessons in one foul swoop yes afterwards when we were wrestling he totally got the whole idea that when you grab the ring ropes you release the hold so we did that a couple times together and he was like loving it he was like you got it you got it i have to let go (laughs) so so good uh him and ethan they're standing in the middle of the bed and owen looks at ethan and Owen extends his hand into a full open palm and like open and closes his fist. <laughs> Just bring it style. Yeah, it was amazing. Oh, that's awesome. Amazing. I love that. So now we, we get to the end of the show here and I want to do kind of final thoughts here. And so uh, what we've done the last couple of weeks is essentially want to kind of rate the show, but in a very simple level. And so uh, we're going to use the names of the SmackDown video games that came out. Oh, and so your nice. options are this. So, um, the, the, the lowest option is here comes the pain. And that just means the show sucked. You shouldn't watch it. Like here comes the pain of watching the show. The second one I would say is kind of the, in the middle, you wouldn't recommend it. You wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't say don't watch it. It's just, it's so that's shut your mouth. 
And so it's just like, you gotta shut your mouth, you don't say anything about it. And then, appropriately, the top one, hey, you should watch this, is Just Bring It. So, uh, is the show for you, is it a Here Comes the Pain, a Shut Your Mouth, or a Just Bring It? It's a Just Bring It. For yeah. Me. SummerSlam set up nicely, you like that. I, I, I thought, you know, what I, how I was thinking about it in my head was, this show was the undercard of a solid pay-per-view. Hmm. You know, Interesting. the matches that we got were matches that could have existed at the undercard of a pay-per-view. Really solid. A solid pay-per-view. Yeah. We, we well, tag match, especially much, in the main event. We didn't get sure. much that was throwaway in terms of in-ring action. Like, True. It was stuff that could stand on an undercard really well. So I, I thought, yeah, let's go for it. Let's let's get people to watch this show. Yeah, I, I liked the SmackDown 6 of their first kind of exclusive match. It felt like there's an era beginning there, even when Michael Cole was telling us that they're the new stars of SmackDown are there. And Rock and Ben will have a solid match. I'll say it's a light just bring it. I think I like the other two episodes before this one a bit more, just because there's more kind of like meaty stuff to dig into. Well, I mean, that, that, if I could qualify those, I would have. I didn't know those part of the rules. I know. Well, here's the thing, right? I mean, like this is the beauty of having the co-host on is either they watch everything and they can kind of go along with me and, and have that, all that context, which is great, or... Or they do the very acceptable thing also of kind of parachuting in and having an opinion that is totally valid and is kind of the experience of maybe kind of like what a more casual viewer of the show would have. They go, oh, that was a great show. And, I, and I'm here to go like, I watched the last four weeks and I think that this was one of the lesser idiot ones of that. So it's good. Well, well I, I have to say, though, Matt, that I was yeah. thinking, man, I wished last week was my week because that looked awesome. Like, that, that looked, Brian and I had some like fun. rock and roll show. Oh, yeah. It was huge. So, so yeah, that's it. So we, we both say just bring it. So check out the show. Go ahead for it there. Um, next week's show is the August 22nd, 2002 episode of SmackDown. That's episode 158. Um, I don't know if it shows up. I don't think they do the number thing on the WWE Network. But anyway, I don't think so. the August 22nd, 2002. Um, I was to click around. It's two weeks after Hulk Hogan dies um, from, <laughs> from, from Hulkamania dying specifically. Now... Now that we're recording this in the time of COVID-19, I'm very wary of saying something like, jokingly, I accidentally saying uh, Hulk Hogan dies because there's an outside chance that between recording and releasing this episode, that could actually happen. And I was <laughs> right. Like, yeah, be careful. More more people so, are dying than usual right now. So. Yes, it's true. People are dying at a strangely high rate. So, um, yeah, that's going to do it for us here on the SmackDown 6 podcast. Check out next week's episode. Either you can watch it or you can hear us uh, tell you all the important stuff that happens in it. And uh, we will see you again next time. Daniel, thanks so much for coming out and uh, doing the podcast with me. This is a lot, ton of fun. Thank you for having me. It was a blast. Uh, I hope I show up again. I hope, I, I, you, I hope you do because I have like 90 shows to do. So I need you for <laughs> <laughs> I could book you for like, I don't know, 20 to 40 of those. I would feel very good. Great, great. Your excuse to watch some wrestling and talk to me. I think it's kind of the way I'll frame that. Very, very easy. Very easy yeah. to take that. Exactly. All right, folks. We'll see you again next time. Thank you for listening.